Hey guys, this is Don Airy from Deep Purple and you are listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 250, Dio, Holy Diver. And coming to you from the sub-zero suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from... Also, the sub-zero suburbs of Providence. <laughs> I was going to say Chicago. <laughs> John, the watcher, Matola. The watcher. Ooh. What, what are you watching? Have you? <laughs> I was watching the watcher. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? It's like one of like a, about a bajillion series on uh, streaming, but it's a, it's a show on Netflix. Came out about... Yeah, a little over a year ago. Only had one season. Okay. So and it was it, one of those. That's it? Like it never had any more? Yeah. Okay. So it was one of those. It's just like seven or eight episodes, just like in and out. And then at the end, you're just like, ah. Yep. Just it doesn't solve anything. And then you're just like pissed off because it's like, okay, <laughs> this came out in 2022. And it's like, obviously, they're not going to be putting out anymore. So, but... um. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. It's about a family that moves into their dream home only to be plagued by ominous letters, strange neighbors, and sinister threats. Boy. Yes. Was by someone named, you guessed it, The, the Watcher. Watcher. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. And as, um, you know, it has that uh, Jennifer Coolidge in it. You know, a woman who's just like, yeah, yeah. oh my God. That's my <laughs> I'm Jennifer Coolidge. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it, I so love is the it Deep a, Purple it's, podcast. It's a, it's a serious show. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, not when she's. Yeah, on that's screen. what I was gonna say because I can't imagine her in a serious <laughs> role. She's always so no, comical. I, no, it's um, it's it's a um, um, it's it's like a it's like a horror drama uh, type thing. She plays a real estate agent, but she's like friggin' hilarious. Like yeah. just. Like I'm watching it, and I'm just like, all right. I think their directions are just like, all right. So when we call action, just be as Jennifer Coolidge <laughs> as you could possibly be, okay? Yeah. And that's yeah. all the direction they gave her. That's all she really needs. Yeah, but it was um, it was pretty good. Highly recommend. That's what I've been watching in this. Um, well, not as cold weather as you got over there. I mean, like friggin' twenty three, seventeen to twenty three degrees uh, today. It was mm. cold enough for me. What do you got over there? Well, the. <sighs> The, so the day we were, it's so cold that the internet went out. <laughs> the, the, um, Is that a thing? I didn't know that was uh, a thing. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. But the it, it was cold and the inter went, internet went out. I don't know if it was because wow. of the cold. But the day we were supposed to record this, um, it was negative 15, and which is about like negative 26 Celsius. Um, so it's pretty, it's been colder. We've gotten colder than that here, but um, by about 10 or 11 degrees, but it was pretty damn cold. The high was like negative two or whatever for the day. Ooh, uh, so yeah, the, the highs were 
for a good four or five day stretch, we're in the negatives. And then we're still, this has been one of the warmer days. It was 20 when I was walking my dog. And then it's going to get into the negatives for a few more days and then we're going to warm up. But, um, yeah, the, the day we were supposed to record, we had gone out of town just unexpectedly for one night, just get the kids out. Everyone was stir crazy. And, uh, kids out off of school. I was off of work. Jen was off of work. So great. We all went out of town. And then I, I messaged you said, Hey, we're running a little late. Maybe I'll just kind of call this, uh, a night with the kids and we'll go home and watch a movie because it's so freaking cold and we've been out and then I got home to no internet so I said well it's a good thing we rescheduled the show because we would have had to reschedule anyway yeah um, well yeah that's good um yeah that works um so I'll um I don't know I, I I've been sitting on this uh <clears throat> I've been sitting on this pop story for a, a few days uh since we we're supposed to record and it's um but I I don't know where you want me to insert this so I'm just <laughs> all right let's let's do it <laughs> So, <laughs> so this was, um, you know, obviously a few nights ago, I want to say it was over the, so it was probably over the weekend. So it was almost a week ago. And, um, I always keep my phone on silent. <clears throat> like, I don't even know what my ringtone is. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, same, vibrates, same. you know, so, um, anyways, I'm, I'm falling asleep on the couch and all of a sudden I hear this weird like tone or beep come mm-hmm. out from my phone. I just, I, I kind of wake up and I'm like, the hell was that? And I grabbed it and it said, um, it was one of those, you know, things that looked like, you know, Amber alert, yeah, you know, yeah. warning, something like that. And it says, um, um, like emergency alert. Um, um, pops has dialed nine one one and you were one of the alerts or the contacts. Oh. So, you know, when I opened it up and it was also in a text from my dad's number. And so I'm just like, since so my, you know, my parents called nine one one there. Yeah. There. Yeah fucking 70s so and it's midnight so i immediately call pops um went straight to voicemail oh boy so i'm like okay so then i call my mom rang 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 voicemail tried to call pops again and they weren't picking up and so i started to get uh concerned and i'm like but i don't know maybe this is some kind of i'm I'm thinking this has got to be some kind of mistake so i waited and I'm waiting for somebody else to call me. Yeah, yeah. And nobody else is calling me. So I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not going to bed until I feel okay about this. Because it's like, they only live 20 minutes away, but I wasn't going to, like, mm-hmm. drive over there. Um, I, I probably should have. But I stayed up until, like, 1 a.m. And I'm like, okay, like, my brother didn't call me. Like, the paramedics, something, didn't call me. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I went to bed and I got up the next morning and there was still nothing like my phone, no messages, nothing. So I immediately called pops or I was texting him yep. and he was giving me one word answers. I'm like, what happened? What's going on? He's like, Oh, I'm fine. But like stuff that didn't sound like him. And so I'm yeah. like, all right, murderers have pops. phone. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm tied up. Like it didn't sound like his text tone. So I, mm-hmm. I called him up immediately. I called him up and, and he's just like, Hey, yeah. And I'm just like, it was him. I'm like, what happened? What happened last night? I said, why, why did you call 911? And he said, I've tried to turn my phone off and I dialed it by mistake. <laughs> so I guess that when you press the two side buttons to turn it yeah, off, if yep. you do one of the them or you hold it in the wrong way, then it, you know, it calls emergency services. And so he said, all of a sudden it just, it started this countdown, like eight, seven, six. And he's like, and I'm, I'm frantically fumbling with the phone. He's telling me trying to figure out how to not make it dial one nine one one. And then it did. Oh, boy. And, 
and then he said he saw that I had called yeah. and then like, and, and then I don't know, he picked up and I wasn't there and I was like, well, why, why didn't you? And he's like, well, why the hell was he calling me at midnight? I said, because I thought you dialed nine one one. I said, <laughs> so he probably has no idea. He set you up as a, yeah. Anyways. So, <clears throat> um, so, and, and, you know, so after that, he's like, you know, he turned his phone, you know, he had turned his phone off, but then for the rest of the day, when he was for the rest of the following day, like when I had called him, when he was anywhere he was going, when that alert goes off, it like attracts him. So it was like anytime like he left the house and he went to like the <laughs> the drugstore, the doctor or something, it, it would like flash up again and be like, Pops is here. Pops He's on the move. Here. It was would like, notify you. Yes. Hmm. But me and all of his emergency contacts. And here is the emergency contact list. Uh-oh. For some reason, obviously me my mother, my brother. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a call from somebody who a number he doesn't know. And he's like, Hey, are you okay? And mm-hmm. pops is like, who's this? And he's like, he goes, I, I got an emergency alert. He goes, I, I gave you a quote to paint your house once. <laughs> and I'm just like, how the hell did that guy's number get under your emergency contacts? He goes, I don't know. So I had to go over and like, look in there. And so I saw, you know, me, my mom, my brother, I'm like, all right, who's this? He goes, well, that, that's the, that's the painter guy. I said, okay, mm-hmm. who's this? He goes, uh, he, he's, he's shrugging his shoulders. Uh, that's, that's one of my childhood friends. And I'm like, okay. I said, who's this? He goes, I don't even know what number that is. I said, all right, I'm deleting all of this <laughs> and resetting it up. I don't like, I didn't oh, even know how many other up. people got it. Yeah. I don't even know, like, I didn't even have mine set up. So I'm like, how did you set yours up and put like, like a, like a, like a, uh, like a guy who would like a painter's name under there. <laughs> and he said, the guy called him up. He's like, uh, Hey, are you all right? <laughs> it's just like, Oh, good for him. And be like, by the yeah, way, I know, did you, right? uh, I know that was eight years ago, but do you need that work done still? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're not dead. Can I paint your den? <laughs> But That's anyways, funny. it was, yeah, so it was, um, it was definitely, um, one of the wackier, uh, pop stories. Uh, now they, they have me, uh, they have me worrying about them. Um, because now when they do crazy shit, I'm just like, okay, now they're in their yeah. mid to late seventies. So now I'm like on high alert. Um, I had to go in there though and like disable, like, I guess there's a thing that just stays on. Mm. when you call that to all your contacts. So the guy had called him because he just kept getting these notifications. But the funny thing is, is that my mom didn't get any notifications on her phone. <laughs> it's not a good system. And I'm just like, <laughs> did Rich get a notification? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, I should, I should have, uh, when I go back there, I think I'm going to just like slip, uh, slip Rich's number in there as one of the emergency contacts. Yeah, you should, right? You know, well, I mean, you know, that would be pretty useful actually. That's funny. Um, my, my, my father-in-law has like, you know, he would do like years ago, he would do those like email, like he just sent out these group emails. Hey, look at this funny article I found. And it was always, it was never the same people. It was always this random group of people. So sometimes it would be like my wife, one of her sisters, not the other sister and their dentist. <laughs> And he'd just like send this funny article and then he'd send one to like me, <laughs> one of my brother-in-laws, not the other one. And like their aunt that lives in Toronto, <laughs> you just send, you so just like, weird. you never knew what, I don't know if he was carefully curating them or if it was just one of those things where he just typed in the first few people he thought of, but who knows? Um, I, w- I would guess that one. Yeah. 
So, it, yeah, it's a cold one here today. I was just one quick thing before we get into the episode, but um, I was walking the dog, um, and this other guy comes walking the dog the other way, and he, all the yards are covered with snow, and it's cold and everything. And then um, at, right as we cro- crossed paths on the opposite sides of the street, my dog was interested, so I was like trying to just, just distract her with treats. And then I hear, Oh, are you fucking kidding me? And I turn around, and the dog's like pooping. And I'm like, you didn't think that was a possibility on the dog walk? And then he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> he was so mad. I've just wait, never. Wait a minute. He was swearing about the dog uh, taking a dump? About his own dog pooping. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know why he was so upset about this or why it was a surprise to him. But um, was he a new dog owner? <laughs> I was like, is this day one? Like, oh, nobody told me they did this. <laughs> I thought that was just oh. a human thing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or maybe, may, oh, you know what? Maybe it was. Maybe he like didn't have any poop bags on him and he forgot them. And then the dog started pooping and he was like, oh, maybe I can make it. And then he, he thought he thought he could make it on the walk and the dog had other ideas. Maybe that was it. You know, to be fair, I've had that happen with, uh, with yeah. my parents' dog before where I'll take him out for a walk. He'll take a crap and I'll just be like, ah, that exact <laughs> yep. noise. When I realized I brought no poop bags. Yeah, that might be the reason. But he said it so loud. I was like, dude, like I can hear you. <laughs> but anyway, folks, if you want to support our show, you can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Help new folks discover the show. Uh, two is you can buy some merch at our Etsy store. Actually, they just allowed it so that you can start selling things on Patreon. So I'm going to look at converting the store over to a Patreon store. Mm, uh, might be a little easier okay. for folks, but we'll see. Uh, you can become a patron on Patreon uh, for as little as $1 a month, or you can use PayPal um, and help support the show. We're saving up for a new computer. Just got some new parts in. I got a, I got a hard drive, a couple of hard drives over here, some RAM. I got two monitors. I got a bunch of stuff, so we're getting ready to set up the new system um, hopefully Ooh. soon. Uh, you can also donate on Cash App at dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Ko-fi. And our show is 100% listener supported and ad-free, so if you receive value from our show, consider giving us some value back if we help you out on your commute or help you through your chores or whatever however you listen to our show and um one other thing is uh apart from all of that um you get access as a patron to our patrons only discord and our ratings spreadsheet so you can uh check along with us and we have a kind of special few special episodes uh, coming up this year, uh, the first one will be our next episode. Just tease it here, uh, where we're having some kind of patron. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if interaction is the right word, but we're going to be doing a live stream, um, and we're going to be uh, getting some patron input. Uh, let's just say. So look for us next week when you consider um, listening to the show and supporting us. <laughs> so, um, speaking of patrons we do have um some patrons to thank uh but first we have patron upgrade that's right a patron upgrade mr michael bagford uh upgrading to the turn it he's turning it up to 11 the turn it up to 11 dollar tier um i i wrote to him and said hey thanks so much why are you upgrading and he said there was another podcast that he supported and Mm -hmm. they stopped production on the podcast they ended their run or whatever so he said i'm just gonna take all that money and give it to you guys so i said wow thanks so much so wonderful michael backford what a guy um so um speaking of patrons at the executive 
executive level at the in memoriam tier, the wonderful late Gerald Jerry Kelly and family, and he'll come up later. At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan. And there's been some talk about getting some other versions of Ain't Too Proud to Beg um, mm-hmm. to uh, replace that one. So we'll have to see in the new year if we have some alternate jingles. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have the wonderful Dr. Mike Catan. Right, and at the turn, up, turn it up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Thielgard Mortensen, Mickelstein, Will Porter, PhDPP, the newest, uh, the newest patron, um, Mr. Michael Bagford. Where the heck did it go? Oh. <laughs> Where did it go? The, oh, it's too many jingles now. It went um, out to take a poop. Come on! <laughs> Come on! What the hell? <laughs> um... And at the $10 Someone Came tier, we have Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, Peter from Illinois. And at the Hughesoween by 2033 tier, we have the one and only Fielding Fowler. Always surprises me when that comes in. Um, thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. We've got some news, uh, some upcoming shows. Uh, the Glenn Hughes Live at the Arcata in St. Charles, Illinois. The pickle capital of the world is sold out, folks. I'm sold out. Got, got three patrons joining me. The, wow. The wonderful... Um, Who's joining me? The wonderful Dr. Mike Catan, the nice. illustrious Peter from Illinois, and the fantastic Ryan M. will all be joining me uh, at Glenn Hughes. So excited. All right. Excited uh, about the show. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Of course, playing with Enough's Enough and Bad Marriage on John's birthday. We'll have to lift a drink to toast to you, John. Thank some, you. And have, then have some cheesecake oh, at midnight or whatever. A week, <laughs> a week later, I'll be going with. Um, uh, Rich, the Gardot, and the Roback, and I think the Coldwell, too. The Coldwell. <laughs> Everyone. Put him, put him in there, you know. Rich is the only one that doesn't get the the in front of it. The yeah. Rich. <laughs> um, Rich. Yeah, I'm going a, a week later on the 16th in uh, Tupelo Music Hall in um, Derry, Derry, New Hampshire, I yep. think it is. Yep. And, um, yep, to see the very same show. That's right. Well, slightly different. Don't, don't know. If it, yes, but don't know if it's sold out, but it is a small room. So if that's sold out, yeah. then I would hope this one would be too. Yeah. Well, it's sold out from my tickets. I don't know if it's actually sold out. Oh, I'm just saying I sold, sold all of my out. tickets. Um, oh, I got so excited for Glenn. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe it is sold out. Who knows? Um, well, I mean, you know, it would be, like I said, not, not a huge venue. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Hopefully yes. we have a lot of uh, Deep Purple fans around here. Yep, should be should be interesting. And then uh, coming up in April, we get the Vi Satriani tour. Haven't really asked anybody about that one yet, but hoping to get some patrons or, or, or whoever. I have got some other uh, folks that might be interested in going see Vi Satriani, so reach out to them. Well, so <clears throat> excited when for I that. Was, um, well, I, I told you that I would be interested in that, and when I was talking to uh, the rollback yesterday, he had asked me about that and said that he was hoping to maybe grab a cheap flight and really come out there as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He was contemplating it. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, maybe um, I'll, yeah, so we have I'll, to I'll hold a ticket for him just in case. Yeah. I think we should, uh, we should kind of 
you know, uh, bring that up in one of our text groups and see who um, who's interested because uh, we might be uh, we might need more tickets then. If uh, yeah, anyone else flies out. out there, yeah. I don't know if, if if the Gardo can resist the siren call. If 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 the Roback's going out there, we'll have to see. How um, many tickets? What's did that? You get? How four. Many I, did I only have four. Okay. So. Okay. Sorry, Rich. <laughs> well, no, we would never. No, well, Rich, Rich has got one reserved too. If he wants to come, so we'll, we'll see oh, what course, he. Uh, absolutely, we'll see. What yeah, he, but anyway, we should. Um, we should. Yeah, it's funny. I bought uh, four. The being like, that. oh, I hope I can. I hope that's going to be enough. And then it'd be funny if that's like eight people flying out here to see them. <laughs> like, oh crap! But yeah, but you uh, guys have known about it for a while. So if anybody wants yeah. to come, just let us know. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So before we get into it, we just got one more little segment, and that is uh, an old favorite that we like to call. Postcards from the Edge of Connecticut. This one actually coming to us from Jacksonville, Florida. And it's a postcard that says, uh, well, the postmark is from Jacksonville. So uh, the the, the card is from South Carolina. And uh, as you can see, welcome south of the border. Oh, do you remember remember that? Oh, of course. Of course. On our our road trips to Florida, it was... There was every every ten miles. There was a uh, a um, ethnically insensitive <laughs> billboard about south of the border. <laughs> and then when you finally passed by it, it was just like it was marked by a humongous sombrero, a giant like sombrero. The, yep, the centerpiece. And I was just always, oh, you know what? We never stopped. Nope. Nope. Did my you? parents. No. My parents were like were like, no, it's a. They, there was, it, you know, they just said, that's just a tourist trap. Ah. So, yeah. You know, I still, I, I guess I could have looked it up all these years later. I still have no idea, like, what it is. is I think it it's, a, it's like an amusement park. Yeah, it's like an amusement park. Like a, oh. But, you know, we're on our way to Disney. What are we going to do? Stop at south of the border? <laughs> it's Which is, uh, like, nowhere near south of the border, by the way. Yeah, well, it's the border of South Carolina and North Carolina. Yeah, but I mean, it's like it's Mexican themed. It's nowhere near the yeah. Mexican border. No, not very close. But at least a thousand miles from the Mexican border. And, and that never struck me as odd, you know, that it's. Oh, yeah. Well, because <laughs> as know, a kid, like, you, well, like with us growing up in New England, you're like, by the time you get to the Carolinas, you're like, oh, my God, this is like some even though you've just been on 95 for 14 hours, you're like, yeah. oh, my God, it's an exotic new land. Like, you get out of the car at a rest stop. Oh, my God, it's so much warmer. Oh, my goodness, it's crazy. <laughs> we might as well be in Mexico. What do we know? Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, the postcard says, Nate, now here's a south of the border for you, Pete. Um, and that's it. Yeah, welcome to, welcome. Pedro's billboard says it all. Southern style, y'all. So there you go. There's no, uh, this must be an really old confusing. vintage postcard because there's no, like, uh, web address or anything on it. So oh. put that in the, the bin here. It's very confusing. Like, come to the south of the border, y'all. Y'all. Like, what the? Yeah, it's like, it's like or we're Mexican, we're Southern, we don't know what we're doing, but... Culturally um, insensitive and inaccurate. <laughs> Culturally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, uh, that is it. All right. Today, episode 250. Kind of, you know, not intentional, but, you know, a... a Good round number, quarter of the way to a thousand episodes. Um, but wow. here we are, Holy Diver. Holy cow! Did you ever think we'd be covering Holy Diver? I mean, I was hoping, <laughs> definitely yeah. hoping. Yeah, and here we are. So, um, yeah. Before we get into it, what's your what's your history with with Holy Diver? I love this album. So, 
Um, yeah, this was uh, this was one that I luckily got into when I was a teenager. Um, it was uh, it was just one of those like um, you know Dio was part of the '80s metal thing, so uh, just of course all of the all of that that reverse propaganda. Uh, Ah, here's here's all the evil album covers, and of yeah. course that was one of them because they're like a demon is whipping a priest and he's drowning in the ocean. I'm like, oh, I gotta fucking have that. <laughs> yeah, I need that. <laughs> Say no more. Not thinking for a second that these religious freaks were just like like drawing us to this stuff like magnets. But um, but yeah, I was um, I was really into into all that. I mean, uh, um, Ozzy, Dio, all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty sure that I heard um. Heard Dio in, uh, I might have heard Dio in Sabbath first, uh, but I mean, it's inescapable, like all of the magazines and stuff that I was reading and the music I like. Um, didn't really know about him from his um, involvement in the Deep Purple days, not yet. Sure. Um, so um, I picked this album up, or this cassette, rather, mm-hmm. and um, and it's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites, a uh, classic for a reason. Um, I mean, I don't listen to it as often as I as I should, but, um, boy, when I put it on, like not, not a bad song in the bunch. Yeah. So you're going to be in for a treat tonight. If you haven't listened to it in a little while. Mm, Yeah. Some nostalgia. How about you? Um, I remember this being one of my early introductions to Dio. The first being live evil. Mm -hmm. So you know this and some of our listeners do, but my cousin Jeff lived next door at this point. And, you know, he was like, we both were on the upper floors of our house. Sadly, my window pointed a different direction from him, so we couldn't do one of those things where we like had a string and a can and all that, or like oh, that you know, like cool. you see in movies and all the time, the kids always have like a setup, a cool setup like that. But um, you know, we would just wander into each other's houses all the time, you know, whatever. Yeah. So we'd go up there, and you know, Mike, we had a his brother was about five years older than us, so although he didn't really get too much into this music. It was Jeff getting into it on his own and I'm not sure what where he really kind of got, got into it. But yeah, he had the cassettes as well. And, and I remember listening to Live Evil and at that point I'd been listening to Sabbath and we've talked about it before where I was like I didn't really dig the Dio renditions of the Aussie songs. Um, but I remember just, you know, hours of staring at that that a Live Evil cassette cover and, and looking at the art. And then, you know, I can't remember if it was around the same time or shortly thereafter, he got this album. And I, rem- I just remember the first time I saw this album cover. And I guess we'll talk about it when we get to the album cover because there's a lot to talk about. But just being like, like so scandalized, like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can't believe that they yeah. can, can. It was like, can you do this? Can you make an album cover like this? This is crazy. Um mm. And then, you know, just listening to the songs. And I think I remember, like, the Holy Diver, Mob Rules, Rainbow in the Dark, like, those specific songs, like, Jeff always singing them and, like, kind of listening to them in his room. So that was kind of... And my cousin, who was older, his brother Kenny, had, like, this really cool sound system, you know, because he was, you Mm. know, at the time he was... 16, 17 and whatever. So he'd worked and saved up his money and got, you know, with one of those graphic equalizers, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. It doesn't, it just looked cool. I don't think it did anything. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, he had a a cool component stereo system and listening to it on that and just blasting it, you know, and um, that was my earliest memory of this album. That being said, like I never owned a copy of it myself and, you know, probably because he lived next door and like, 
you know, why bother buying it when he has it? Oh, but, okay. Um, yeah, so sometimes we had kind of some communal stuff like that where it's just like, hey, can I borrow the whatever album? Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I listened to it as much as you did. Um, but it was definitely like a cool thing. And I really like, you know, that was my intro to Dio and just that darkness of his voice and the, the music just really kind of grabbed me. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I mean, from, from this point, I mean, this is how I, this is how I knew of Dio. This is how I discovered him when he was in this phase. He was like, oh, at this point, what was he like? Late thirties, early forties, maybe. Um, I would have to think, or like maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe forties, mid thirties. But I mean, I know he was, he was older. Like, I mean, you always knew that, you know, that was one of the things about Dio, which I've talked about in past episodes is like, you always knew that he was a little bit older than your standard metal singer, but you didn't care because he was so awesome because he was so into it. Mm -hmm. And then finding out that he had this whole past with, uh, with elf and rainbow and, and, um, and then finding out how he was, uh, intertwined with the deep purple history. And then after his passing, when, when all this stuff came out about his, like his, his, uh, fifties and sixties stuff, which was even more out there. You're just like, all right, he's, he's like, you're just like, Oh my God, like he's doing like this honky tonk stuff and elf. And then you get used to him like that. And then you're like, Oh my God, he was doing this Elvis kind of stuff. (laughs) Even like, you know, 10, 15 years earlier than that. It's like, who is this guy? So um, it's just amazing to think of him releasing an album like this. Uh, Like I always thought, Oh, okay, this is his debut album. This is when he started because you don't know when you're 15 or whatever. You're like, Oh, this is his first album. He never did anything before this. And we wouldn't have had the same exposure to rainbow as they would have in in Europe. Like, like it wasn't as big a thing here. And yeah, he he would have been 40 when this album came out, turned 41 a couple months later. And I mean, um, yeah, I mean, without uh, really, uh, we've talked about our group of friends and who we hung out with. So we really, uh, none of us were lucky to have that, that kind of connection of anybody that would buy uh, like the imported magazines like Kerrang or anything or a lot of, uh, I mean, we, we found like the imports and stuff at like uh, Sam's. We've talked about that yeah. the record store we used to go to, but we never, but we really, were a little older. We were old enough to be able to drive there when that happened. Yeah. Cause our but parents I mean, we were not going to really be driving us to Sam's. Are you, Warwick, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's gotta be 30 <laughs> minutes from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but we never we never had that gateway into the 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 European type of uh, metal, which mm-hmm. is um, eh, you know I mean we we eventually have found our way to it, but I mean what did we, we have? Um, we had like Hit Parade, Circus, Metal Edge, Circus, Hit Parader, uh, Metal Edge. Um, there there were some other ones, a uh, one off. So whenever I would just whenever I would see anything outside of those, like these big picture magazines or something mm-hmm. on the on the shelf, I buy them uh, like. Uh, like metal wire or something like that. Uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, for me, it was, uh, I think the, the very first uh, magazine that I bought was a hit parader with Iron Maiden on the cover. Oh, and I go. know there are certain listeners that'll be happy to hear that. And I still have it somewhere in my collection of magazines. Ooh. Um, 1988, I think it was nice. Um, but uh, the one that I had read the most like hit parader circus and then metal edge was the one that I actually wound up getting a subscription to. And, um, you know, have it delivered to my house. And that was the one I really liked because it just had a lot of stories in it, pictures. And it was, you know, it was really focused on the, um, more like the hair metal scene, 
Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, thinking back, but um. Oh yeah, it was but, all warrant and poison and kicks yeah. and <laughs> trickster, <laughs> a, firehouse, all that. But sort of stuff. occasionally, occasionally, we would, you know, I would come across and um in the drugstore, oddly enough, or maybe even in like one of those places like Sam or Sam's or rock city with like a Kerrang or something like that. Um, and they were always a little more expensive and they were, I think like, uh, sometimes shrink wrapped or they'd have something extra and you'd be like, Ooh, you know, a, and it had to be a special, you know, there'd have to be like somebody on the cover or like the kind of, um, the, the byline or something that you really liked to spend that extra, like, five or six bucks on for this, you know, special magazine. Or a really and, good one of those little one-page posters. Yeah. Like Scott Beejan had his room in his, his attic of his parents' house. Mm-hmm. Every square inch was covered with band pictures. Mm, I mean, I there wasn't there wasn't an inch of wall free of it. Oh, yeah. No, I had gone to, um, I had gone to a friend's house that was, uh, that was like that, like years, years before I, um, I think I even met you and he had had that too, like walls, ceiling. Yep. Um, and, and I was like, all right, this is, this is the coolest thing. I have to do that too. And so I just wallpapered my room with everything and pops hated it. Yeah. I did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually kind of got, it was kind of weird after a certain point, <laughs> like these, all these, cause I'd end up putting bands up that I didn't even really know or really care that much about. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. cool. And then I'm like, why well, do yeah, I have this big just, poster of Jenny Lane on my wall? <laughs> I, I think like I bon, Jovi, I had bon Jovi up there once. I was just like, you know, they had long hair and I'm just like, yeah, all right, I put them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember Pops came, Pops came in once and he goes, hey, you know, they're from New Jersey. And then he just walked out. <laughs> I see he was keeping his finger on the pulse. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think that was before before I started plastering the walls when he would just come in and be like, ah, what's going on in here? Yeah. Well, you reach a point where it becomes, an, like at first it's like, oh, I like Metallica, but I'm like, oh, I like Megadeth. And then you're just like, wow, well, I got all this wall space to fill. And you start ripping every magazine apart and <laughs> everything's covered. And you're like, you know, <laughs> kicks, can't name a kicks song, but I got a poster on my wall. What do you know? Um. All right, so I'm going to do something a little different this episode than we normally do in that I found a bunch of uh, interviews with Dio. So rather than me reading his quotes, I thought it might be interested to kind of uh, hear him in his own words. So there's a lot of little, like, just quick 30-second, one-minute segments I can play. Um, I like that. Talk about the lead-up to the band and um, about the songs themselves. So so Dio has a talk about um, about forming the band about how he formed Dio and um, Martin Popoff's book Born Again Sabbath in the 80s I think it's 80s and 90s um, he, he talks a little bit about the breakup of Sabbath and how there was an incident or the, uh, during Live Evil um, where they were mixing it and the engineer um, was drinking like a bottle of Jack Daniels a day. So um, the, the mix was not good. And then Dio and Apathy got um, accused of going to the studio and turning up their drum and vocal tracks um, uh, on the album. And then interestingly in the book, he points out, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's worth mentioning that the engineer was Lee DiCarlo, who's the brother of Yvonne DiCarlo. I don't know if you know that name. Um I'm going to leave a pause here for mostly for Mark and Pete. <laughs> I think that if anyone knows who that is, it might be one of them, but she played Lily Munster in the Munsters. <laughs> so again, doesn't have any relevance to anything, but I thought it's worth mentioning. Um, 
Now this was the, the this was the live evil. Yeah, it was live evil that they that, that was the beginning of the end for Sabbath. Well, that now version you know I, I know that that's like a popular uh, story, like a myth. But I've also heard uh, countering stories to that, um, saying that if you're if you're an engineer or producer on an album, you're not letting like band members can't sneak in after hours <laughs> and start fucking around right. with knobs and st- it doesn't work that way. Yeah, they don't usually have like a key to just come in and do like I'm at a certain point they probably do, but. They're probably not giving I mean, it to just anybody. I mean, even if they did, there's not like one knob that just says Ronnie's vocals for the whole album. And he just goes in and goes, <laughs> you know, turns it <laughs> up a little up. bit and then like tiptoes out like the Grinch, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't listened to that album in so long, but I'd, I'd be interested in listening to it just to hear with that in mind, with that the context of, oh, the, the vocals and the drums were kicked up. But Well, I haven't heard it yet, but I have heard there, there's a remix of it. Yeah, that came uh, out like that, that recently, out. right? Like a couple of years yes. ago or something? Yeah. No, no, like no, like a, a few months ago. Oh, really? that Louisa. Oh, OK. Yeah, recently. And um, I've 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 heard uh, very positive reviews on it. Like the remix does mm-hmm. make a big difference. And they turn um, the drums and the, the vocals all the way down. And <laughs> it's all guitar and bass. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, there are some things that were that weren't uh, cut or edited. Um, the mix is a little more even. Uh, just overall, I, I I think that it's um it's it's gotten a lot of positive um, feedback. So I'd actually like to when I remember like to hear it uh, myself, but I haven't heard it yet. All right. Well, I'm still waiting for to... Born Again. Oh, I know. That's going to be fantastic. That's going to mm-hmm. be an episode right there. Um, all right. Let's listen to uh, Dio in his own words about um, how uh, Dio, actually about leaving Black Sabbath. Let's listen to that. It, it just becomes a very hard thing psychologically sometimes to deal with. But if you've got some support there, and Vinny was that support for me, uh, he, and so he stayed and we carried on from there. And that's when we started to look for a guitar player, actually. Um, not anything else but a guitar player. We tried a couple people here in Los Angeles, but uh, uh, they just didn't suit. I mean, after having played with Tony and with Richie and, you know, heard the great ones, uh, everything else paled in comparison to me, and I knew what I wanted. I knew the kind of player I wanted, and I really wanted an English player. I said said that all the time anyway. I mean, I love the way they played, take chances, uh, th- what they do on stage, just the attitude of the, of the British musician, to me, is just so far superior to, to the American musician, uh, certainly at that time. Uh, if we talk, you know, musician against musician, sure, there are some great American guitar players and great English guitar players as well, but I just always like the attitude. Um, and I think that, you know, Britain, because it was, uh, you know, didn't birth rock and roll, always felt a little bit, I think maybe a little bit, not inferior, but we've got something to prove. And that's another attitude I liked. It was like no holes barred, you know, here's what we're going to give to you. And they did. So that's when we went looking for a guitar player. So a little bit of a background of what he was looking for and and leaving Sabbath. He says he was unceremoniously booted from the band, as he says. Um, so, uh, so with, with this, um, you know, um, the, the, everyone that's in this, well, actually we haven't really talked much about Vivian Campbell, so we'll get into him in a little bit. Um, but he, he talks about those guitar players. He, uh, and I don't think, I don't know if I have audio of it, but he, he talks about auditioning John, uh, auditioning John Sykes. He says he really liked Sykes, uh, but mm. just didn't feel like it was the right fit. And Vivian Campbell. And then there was also, um, who's the other one that they, Audition. I think he said Jakey Lee. 
Um, because at the time, yeah, so. Wendy Dio was um, managing Rough Cut, which Jakey e. Lee was in with Claude Schnell, who would later be in Dio. Um, and that uh, he, they, they auditioned him and that, you know, he was, he was really, really good. Um, he d- auditioned them uh, in, in L.A., I think. Uh, but but he does say something. Actually, let's see if this quote here where he talks a little bit about putting the rest of the band together. Let's see. Let's take a listen. Oh, no, not that one. Here we go. Uh, I went into a situation where uh, leaving even was more hurtful than the first time. And after that, I think after both of those boots up, up the up the heiress, uh, that's when I decided that uh, I better take control of my own life. I think I know what I want. I think I've paid enough dues, and I, I this will give me a chance to choose the people that I want to play with and make the kind of music that I want to make without having any outside interference. So at that point, that's what happened. But it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't, you know, the this massive heap on my shoulders that said, do it yourself, boy, you can do it. Not at all. It took a while because I never had that solo attitude. And and when I did put Dio together, it never was a solo project to me. It had my name on it, which I thought was clever from a business standpoint. After all, coming out of Sabbath, people knew who I was uh, and uh, Rainbow. And so what better connection for some kind of instant recognition than to call the band Dio? So, of course, everyone thought, well, Mr. Ego's done it again. He's called the band after himself because he controls everything and, you know, he just hires people and away he goes. But that's not what happened. Uh, at that point, that's when we started the search for the musicians to make holy diver album what it was and it's kind of interesting he talks about actually between rainbow and um between rainbow and uh sabbath about trying to put together a band with uh uh, mickey lee sewell and mark nosif um craig gruber so like almost like a elf redo sort of thing but Mm. it just kind of never came through he also talks about after this point trying to get bob daisley on board to join Mm. dio from a you know from a songwriting standpoint but but he was already kind of joining back in with ozzy and he would you know go in with kind of uh jakey lee uh, back in back into ozzy and and working with ozzy and stuff so Mm, that would have been something yeah that would have been great to to, to see them writing together because we we only got two Great musicians and songwriters, yeah. Because we got maybe like, how long were they together in Rainbow? Six months, you know? Didn't mm-hmm. really see what the potential could have been. Um, so they get, um, they they decide on Vivian Campbell. They say that he's, um, you know, they went to go see him play and that, that he, he basically got Jimmy Bain involved with trying to hook him up with, with Vivian Campbell and, and Jimmy Bain recommended him not even having heard him play, just said, I heard a lot of great things about this guy. we got to check him out. And, uh, he was playing with a band called sweet savage at the time. Uh, and they kind of snatched him up and we'll get more into them later because they have, do have some kind of crossover with, with Dio and with deep purple. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the direction that they went. Um, and the label, he said the label wanted them to be Ronnie James Dio. He didn't want to do that because he wanted it to be a band, but obviously he's kind of the, you know, Dio is, I mean, Dio is a great name for a band, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, whether or not he's always saying he wants it to be the band thing, but obviously at the end of the day, and I think when we talked to Claude Schnell years ago, that was kind of his thing. It was like, I forgot exactly how he phrased it, but he's like, you know, were we a band? Yes, but at the end of the day, the band is named Dio. Like, you, you, there's no question about who the boss is. Right, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, it's Wendy. So, um, 
<laughs> which, um, yeah, she, she has, you know, a lot of quotes and stuff in the book. Uh, so, um, yeah, so... As, you know, Wendy becomes uh, Ronnie's man- manager officially. She'd been managing Rough Cut, and that's why we'll see a little bit of crossover with Rough Cut over the years. Um, it almost, it's, they're almost like the, 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 the farm team for, for Dio. <laughs> you come yeah. up through Rough Cut and you have good stats. You know, we're going to bring <laughs> you up into the majors and put you in Dio. Um, so yeah, Jimmy Bain, we've talked about a million times, obviously coming from, um, from Rainbow. Uh, Vinny Apice coming from Sabbath. Um, and then Vivian Campbell, the you know relative unknown. He was only about twenty years old uh, when he joined Dio, uh, but you know was obviously a you know one of those Dio has this history of getting these young prodigies in and um, forming bands with them. Uh, on the technical level, Angelo Arcuri is the, the engineer. He worked with Eddie Money, Black Sabbath. He went on to work with Dawkin. Ray Leonard does some engineering. He's based in L.A. Did some work in the early eighties. And then that brings us to probably a maybe a longer segment than we normally do, but we have to talk about this album art because you know we we did touch on it. Um, but but here we go. This is the cover, uh, and if it's one of those things that if if you're listening in the audio, and sometimes we talk about the album covers, and you're like, well, I can't see it. Uh, if you've ever seen this album cover, it's probably burned into your brain. You, you, it's it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty memorable so john you talked about it a little bit but what do, what do you think of this album cover yeah cool coolest album cover of all time yeah i mean this is uh yeah i mean this is like such a i i i'm with you on this one when when um when, when i saw, saw this i'm like can they do that <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you can do that because <laughs> i mean you you literally have what our image in the when we were kids of a priest is basically just getting like, like whipped into the ocean by this friggin' demon doing the devil horns <laughs> yeah, exactly um, to take it to the next level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, what, a, I mean, outside of that though, like what a cool illustration because it really just, <laughs> I mean, it, it really just bring like the, the whole concept is just brought to life. Like what a, a great, uh, concept here. I mean, you just have this, this, this evil demon Murray. Yeah, <laughs> the best like, evil demon name. This is this Jewish demon Murray. Um, <laughs> Murray Goldblatt. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, uh, the 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 countless hours I spent spent staring at this, wondering like, what what did this priest do? Um, but I feel like. Um, like to, to deserve this treatment, but it's because he's he's good, not evil. And in this universe, evil wins. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel it's um, it's kind of like um, years later, he made me think of the um, if you ever seen uh, the seven in 1979 uh, Salem's Lot. Uh, no, no. I read the so book, made but for, I never I never saw the movie. Yeah. So it was a made for TV movie. Um, and this actually makes me think a lot of it. <clears throat> and I don't, uh, I have nothing to support that if it, uh, you know, was, you know, inspired by that. But um, didn't they do like a mini series too, like in the 90s or something? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was, well, this was actually a mini series, but if you watch it now, it's, it's stitched together like mm-hmm. a movie, but you can tell like the way the edits are and like the, the quality of the film that it was obviously like, um, like, a like, a uh, a series, like a serial, like they'd show you like, a half hour every week and you'd have to wait to see the next part type right. thing. But 
one of the climactic scenes was the 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 vampire figure who was like looked like you know Nosferatu, you know the the pointy rat teeth and everything. Yep. Um, rose up in this house where these the parents and the kid were meeting with just the the local priest, just some you know he wasn't powerful, he wasn't anything, he was just you know your priest from down the street, and the guy behind the monster was just like you know tempting the priest like face the monster holy man, you know, face mm-hmm. him, you know, w- with your faith. And it's just this, you know, again, just this ordinary schlub priest, you know, he was like, maybe had like three minutes in the whole movie and the monster completely decimated him because all this guy is just a your regular, you know, parish priest down there. Who's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, do some <laughs> blessings over here at the house or counsel the family. Like, I don't know what damn thing. I'm not about prepared to demons. battle a demon. <laughs> Exactly. And the demon just takes him out just for the fact that he is a a, a holy man Mm -hmm. because he's religious. And that's what I feel like this is looking at this guy is is like this poor bastard priest over here. He was probably just, you know, nobody special. But since he was a priest, you know, Murray's like he's he's into the ocean. He goes, you know, he's going to be tortured because he's not, you know, he's not evil. He's, you know, everything that that I am not. Um but um, aside from the concept, I mean, the illustration is like magnificent. The colors, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it paints like such a a universe that that I would get lost in the the full moon behind him. Just the the face, oh yeah, yeah. like he he kind of has this this like this horse face, but he's like red eyes and horns, and he's like he's kind of a devil, but he's not. And um, and then of course the Dio logo, which famously, if you yeah. <laughs> flip it over, then it supposedly spells devil Yep. Um, in red, which, I mean, come on, nothing was cooler than this. Yep. So um, what are your things? Yeah, I mean, like I touched on earlier, just well, it's worth noting that we, we grew up in a very, very, very Catholic area. Mm. And we were, you know, you were, you were raised Catholic. I wasn't necessarily raised Catholic, but I was baptized Catholic. I come from, you know, my dad's French Canadian. They're all Catholic. My mom's Italian. They're all Catholic. And, uh, you know, I was Catholic. I was brought into the world Catholic, but I didn't necessarily follow that. You know, my cousin Jeff or, or you know, E-Rock, all those guys, everyone kind of grew up in the same way. You went to a Catholic high school. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like priests were around you saw them all the time and so so to see this it was just like a complete shock like oh my god like like we said like i don't can you do that i don't think you can do that you know i don't think you can have an album cover like this they better not yeah, find out but yeah, it was just that made it more shocking but it's also us, yeah. so like i just remember feeling like oh my god i feel so bad because it's like this guy's drowning his glasses are falling off he's looking back at the <laughs> demon he's like he's in chains he's sinking into the ocean it's like um yeah, it just it just looked just this terrible, terrible scene. Um, so it was it was not that you'd look at this as not being Catholic and saying, oh, no big deal. But <laughs> but I think growing up where we grew up and in, in the environment that yeah. we grew up in, it was it was extra shocking for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but, but a very, very great wonderfully crafted uh, album cover so um, I do have and it's interesting because I, I, I was reading about all the stuff that that Dio said about the album cover which I think is kind of um, almost amusing so I'm going to put uh, on one of his little I think I have a couple of clips from him regarding the album cover so uh, or maybe it's just this one um, 
Yeah, let's uh, let's take a listen to this one. Well, we we wanted a uh, an album cover that was going to be just what it turned out to be, which was uh, uh, fantasy on the fantasy side, but with a little bit of reality chucked in, which was uh, uh, to most people's eyes a monster drowning a priest, a priest in chains, uh, which was going to be a little bit controversial, of course. Uh, well, good. But I wanted to do that because I wanted people, I wanted it to be controversial so I could explain to them what this was all about. And when they would say, why do you have a monster killing a priest? I could always say, how do you know it's not a priest killing a monster? And, you know, in the day and age that we live in, I think my uh, my thoughts were correct. Um, so, you know, and the whole purpose of all that imagery and being able to say that was because I wanted to say to people, do not judge this book by its cover. Don't judge anyone's life by what you see. You judge them by what's inside of them. It's the heart and the soul and the spirit that counts, not what you see. So don't make those kind of hasty judgments because that's always been my philosophy. So there's my philosophy on the cover of this album, perhaps. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it, it was an album cover that uh, most parents wouldn't let their kids put up as a poster, uh, which I guess worked pretty well. You know, because kids want to be rebellious, and they, they, as soon as the parents say no, there, there you go. But we didn't do it for that reason. But it became an offshoot of that kind of artwork that parents were very fearful of what kind of uh, evil was going to befall their children if they looked at that poster. Hmm. Interesting. A little bit more there. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of the... Uh, that's his take on it, which I honestly just kind of think is kind of funny. It's like, hey, don't, don't judge a book by its cover. It, it could be anything that's happening on this album cover. You, what, <laughs> you look at it and you see a monster throwing a priest, but it could be, it could be anything. It could be, you know, maybe the, maybe the monster's the good guy, this super evil looking thing. You know, it's like, uh, he talks about it too, and he says, and there's another interview where he's saying like, oh, just because he has the priest collar on doesn't mean he's a priest. Maybe he stole it. <laughs> it's like. It's like well, okay. I mean, I, it's like come on, okay, Ronnie. I mean, I, I, I mean, I kind of get what he's saying, right? This is just like because, as you know, like anybody could be a monster just because the guy sure. is a priest and wearing a priest collar. I mean, maybe Murray is a good guy and he's whipping him into the ocean. <laughs> he definitely looks like a classic a good guy. <laughs> maybe the priest was a child molester. You exactly. don't know. Well, and that's what he's kind of offhandedly referencing. He's like, and, and yeah. And that's when I was just like, okay, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I've seen enough movies and stuff like that where they see the, uh, the, the, the character that's supposed to look scary and evil. And when you get to know them, you're just like, Oh, you're just misunderstood. Yeah. Maybe Murray is misunderstood because just because he's got horns and red eyes doesn't mean he wants to kill people. Just because he has horns and red eyes and is killing somebody doesn't mean he. Maybe he was trying to pull. Maybe he was trying to pull the priest out of the water and the chain broke and he's like, "Oh no, I almost had him." Oh. There you go. <laughs> See, there's another interpretation. Yeah, maybe yeah. Murray was trying to save the priest and that's why he's looking back at him and he's just like, "Damn it, the chain broke." <laughs> oh man, I tried everything. <laughs> I mean, and that's why he's doing this with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and by the way, I'm not wearing any pants back here. Yeah, it does not look like because that goes pretty far down the torso. It does not. Maybe we're just wearing a little thong. I don't know. <laughs> but so so an, an evil looking monster that's actually good and wears a thong trying to save a priest from drowning <laughs> or not wearing a thong. We haven't decided that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, uh. sexy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, so it's like I get it, but it's like don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, come on. I mean, look, <laughs> look at this. You can't. I mean, not that it sounds like he's getting annoyed, but you can't be like, oh, come on, don't judge it just by, don't make assumptions about what's going on here. I mean, clearly, this looks like something bad is going on. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute, there's a few different ways this could be taken. And, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Like, no, for the past, like, you know, 40-something odd years, I've only taken this one way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and I refuse to believe that's like, oh well, maybe that, maybe the priest is the is, is the demon, and the and the demon looking guy is like just a super good guy. Yeah. I mean, maybe could maybe in this universe, like, bad, good guys just look like that, but just I don't know. I'm not I'm not buying it. But I mean, think of what was coming out um, for for metal around this time. It was very rebellious. Mm. Uh, 1983, shout at the devil, Motley Crue, yeah. right? Is rebelling against. Speak of the authority devil. and your parents and, you know, all the stuff that's uh, timeless uh, uh, themes for for teenagers. Right. So when you're looking at this, all you see and when you hear the music that's contained, mm-hmm. which I can't wait to listen to, is all you can hear is, is just like, yeah, like screw authority, any authority. Yeah. It could be a priest, a teacher, anything. So, yeah. I mean, that's what a kid is <laughs> going to a bunch of different uh, v- variations on this album cover of other like <laughs> civil servants and other people like there's one with a mayor, one with a teacher. Sure. Well, the fireman, you're just like <laughs> all these oh, firemen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah so, oh. It's like, well, maybe the fireman was a bad fireman that was trying to start fires. Murray's a good guy. <laughs> How do you know the fireman was going to put out fires just because he was dressed like a fireman? Don't judge a book by his cover. <laughs> You know, I like to see AI like put some of the, some other figures in there. You know? <laughs> yeah, Dio album cover, except with you know a doctor in the instead of a priest or whatever. Yeah, it's a doctor that like misdiagnosed somebody. No, <laughs> no, it was a mistake. I swear, you did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! So anyway, that's the album cover. It's a, it's a great one. It's definitely one for oh, the yeah. uh, one for the ages, as far as just like mm-hmm. being super super memorable. Yeah. Um, then we get the inside of the album. Um, I guess with the, I, I never had the vinyl, but I wonder if this is like a gatefold. Uh, but it's, it's, like a, it's like a classic collage, like you'd see in a in a high school yearbook. You know, like very DIY cutout photos put together, which I always I always think is really cool. I love it. Yeah, um, this is very cool because you could just stare at this for hours yep. and just kind of like look around and discover things. And, this, you know, there's some live shots that were probably, you know, there's a live shot up at the top that looks like it probably from the rainbow days uh, with yep. him, with him with the like tassel shirt. And there's like stuff from in the studio recording. So lots of different, uh, different things. And then the other side of it uh, right here. Um. You know, you've got just close-ups of all the guys in the band. There's Vinny looking a lot like Richie right up there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there are a couple of shots in here where he looks remarkably like Richie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got that. Then you got the uh, the album label there. And then the back cover, which I couldn't find. I couldn't find a great picture of, but this this is it here. You know, And it says, we didn't really talk about it, but produced by Ronnie James Dio. So he was the pro- producer, but had engineers mm-hmm. obviously working with him. Um, so there you have it. That's the album cover. All right. So are we almost ready to get into the music? Oh yeah. All right. Let's do it. I've been ready. Damn it. Nice. All right. Well, 
before we do, oh, speaking of production, there's a, there was a few clips of Dio talking about production. So let's listen to one and then we'll thank our patrons and get right into it. So this is the first one about him t- talking about producing the album. No, I wanted to do it myself and not because of the control so much. It wasn't a matter of that. I think I felt that after all the years that I put in, in the studio and all the great people that I've worked with, the great engineers that I worked with, I learned so much from them, well, from Martin Birch especially. I mean, I learned his methods and I, uh, Roger Glover, who I worked with for so long, uh, I learned from these people and I felt that I was prepared to do that I mean to me production was not having to have my hands on the knob that's the engineer's job so I always felt if you've got a great engineer then your ears will do the rest of it and I felt that nobody's ears were going to be any better for the band called Dio than mine Uh, so I did that and not out of ego but because you know I just felt that it was time for me to do that and then after doing the first one it worked and I wasn't about to relinquish that hold all right Hmm. so there you go yeah, I mean, I, I would say, like, before even listening to the album, I think he did a great job on uh, producing and uh, just getting in those engineers. Although, you'd have to think, like, what what this would have sounded like if he did get Martin Birch or even Roger Glover mm-hmm. to produce this. I think it would have been tremendous. I don't know how much different it would have sounded because it was still, I think, is a tremendous-sounding so- album. Yeah, I think he had a Anyways. couple of good engineers, and he, he had a really good vision for what he wanted the album yeah. to be. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can't... I've never never thought anything negative about the production here. We'll listen really closely, nope. but um, yeah, really good stuff. Um, all right, so we're going to thank our next round of patrons before we get into the uh, album proper. And at the core level, coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell and Arthur Smith. Getting support from the Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, we have Kenny Wymore and Richie Sucksmith. At the $6 What's Going On Here tier, Richard Fusey. At the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith and Carl Helberg. And at the $60 Kroner Scandinavian Nights tier, we have Newt Morton Johansson. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi, The Perfect Stranger, Slepikoff, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, Raf, Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. Thank you so much for your support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, John, are you ready to kick it off? Are you ready to stand up and shout? Yeah! All right, let's do it. Opening track, first side of the album, Stand Up and Shout. That bass is that chugging bass is just yeah. so, it's got that perfect that really amount of trouble in it. Chugging bass, hell yeah. What a great riff. Yep, very, very great simple. Great riff, too. Yeah, just classic metal riff. Makes you wonder what would happen if they switched, like if Campbell was in Ozzy and Jakey Lee was in Dio. Mm. Yeah, it would have been very different. I feel like Vivian Campbell was a lot more straightforward player. Yeah. And I love both of them. I thought they were both great players. And classic Ronnie lyrics in this song, too. Yep. 
Just a lot of imagery when you like listen to the lyrics. Yeah, like wings of steel, you know. Nailed to the wheel, but you're never really turning. Yep. All that kind of stuff. Just kind of opposites. And it's funny because Dio lyrics I actually listen to just because he's such a great lyricist. Well, and he enunciates so clearly, you know? Yeah. There are songs that I listen to by Ozzy for 20 years and have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Vivian making a, making a solo. statement right here. Yep. Vinny Apsy's just going nuts. Yeah. Throwing in so much, so many cool fills. I mean, this is a, a high, a high energy track. Perfect opener. <laughs> just coming in on those toms. How many toms did he have on his set? Because it sounded like he had about 15 when he did that. Just awesome concert ending. Wow. Oof. Well, before we move on, I'm going to play a little quick snip of uh, Dio talking about the song. Not the most amazing thing, but a strange coincidence is that the very first track on this album, Stand Up and Shell, was the last track written. And that track was written only as the backing track. Um, At that particular point, uh, Jimmy was going to... Um, Germany to do an album with Scorpions and so Jimmy left to do that and we we there was no time for him to stay around and listen to the backing track or to the to the vocal track because it hadn't been written yet because he had to go and Vivian left as well because he had done all of his parts as well uh, so they they both went away and uh, then I went into the studio and wrote the rest wrote the song the lyrically and melodically and uh Recorded it, sent it to Viv and Jimmy, and they went, "Wow, this is great!" Wow, yeah, well, good, did my job then. So it was. That's the only song that was done a little bit more disjointedly than the others because they weren't there when I when I did it. And I always liked, and certainly in those days, to have Jimmy at the desk when I sang. When I went out into the studio, I mean, your producer's hat can is still on, but it's a bit tilted because you're doing some other job. You're not thinking in both those terms. I'm thinking now as a singer, so I would rely a lot on Jimmy. What was that like? Great, mate. Well, nah, yeah, that other part was fine. So it was almost like having a, a little, you know, assistant producer to do that for me. So uh, uh, in that particular case, Jimmy wasn't there. It didn't matter, you know. It did it anyway. But again, it was the track done, written last, and put first on the album. I love Ronnie's like interview per- 
persona where he says all these little asides like, oh, wow, that was great. All right, I did my job then. You know, <laughs> he's, all, he's always throwing stuff like that in there. You know, he's like, he's like so, I don't know what the word to describe him is, like his personality. It's, he's so like, I don't know, he kind of scares me in a way. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, not in the Murray drowning a priest way, but yeah. in the just like, like, man, he just seems like so intense that like, I don't know, like I'd be scared to work with him. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like um, uh, Ronnie in um, in interviews uh, to me always sounded very, uh, very intelligent. Yeah, very smart guy. Um, yeah, very well spoken. And the thing that I loved about him was is that he like he's talking about this like you would uh, like a. Oh, like a scholar or something. He yeah. would be like giving a lecture in, in, a, in a college or something, except he's talking about metal. Yeah. And he's just so serious about it. And I think that just gave such legitimacy to uh, this music. And that's one of the reasons that I love him, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot of folks like that, too, that are very, very smart and very well-spoken. And when, you know, you hear them, I think it, it was able to change the mind of people who who were very negative on this kind of music or thought it was a bad influence for kids. And I remember in, uh, uh, having a debate with my, 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 my history teacher in eighth grade and bringing in, uh, you know, about Megadeth. Cause I was always wearing a Megadeth shirt and he was making fun of me. So I brought in an album and, and he played some of it in class and he read the lyrics and he was like, really like, wow, like these are really good. These lyrics are really good. Like I really like, and he like, I'm not going to say he went out and bought the album. I don't know if it was so far so good, so what, or Peace Sells. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember um, him, you know, kind of changing his tune and saying, "Okay, this isn't just stu-. like it was. It was a song that was like was about something. It wasn't just like ah, kill babies, wear metal." So um, I'm sure, there's plenty of stuff I could have played that would have had that effect. But um, yeah, it, it was, he was a, he was a great ambassador. For, for metal. So anyway, mm-hmm. as a long yeah. aside, but John, what do you think of Stand Up and Shout? Uh, stand Up and Shout, I, like uh, five all the way. No surprise there. No, that's um, that's always been one of my favorite Dio songs, uh, Dio vocal performances. Um, and I mean, probably one of my favorite album openers of all time. Mm. I mean, uh, it, it's got to be... I mean, it's 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 hard to like have a uh, to have a studio track that kind of replicates that live energy. But when they when he's played it live and when you hear it on the album, it's almost like you could listen to either one and be like, this is great. Because sometimes people are like, oh, the live version is better mm. and has more energy like this one is just just bursting with energy. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, the, uh, live having any more energy than this because it's pretty it's pretty intense. Yeah. And and given the story that he told behind the the song, it's just it's um it's it really it sounds like a really cohesive unit. And to think that they recorded it kind of uh, separately and it was the last song that they wrote, it's actually kind of surprising because they sound very tight. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very in tight. The song, but I mean that's a result of great songwriting and performances and, and production. So. Yep. All right. Um. I'm trying to think on this one. So to think about five. <laughs> I got to think about the number. F- yeah, I'll give it a five. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's a great. I love how I bullied you into great it. Great track. All right. I was going to give it a two, but John bullied me into giving it a five. Oh, no, you were not going <laughs> to give it a two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's uh, hard to think of uh, a ton of album openers better than that one. It's, it's super solid. 
Mm. All right. Speaking of super solid songs, next track up is a track. Oh, did I, did I have anything else about this song? I think it was just that audio clip. Um, oh, yeah. He says, um, at this point, the reason... Uh, Jimmy wasn't there as he went off to Germany to work with Scorpions and Vivian had finished off. So that's when um, Ronnie wrote the melody and did the lyrics. And he said the riff was written by Jimmy, but Vivian said it was similar to a sweet savage riff he'd written uh, and that he'd stolen the riff from Gary Moore. (laughs) So I would love to hear from a big Gary Moore fan to see if they could pinpoint um, what riff they think that might be. Um, Mm. But I'm, I'm not sure. Wow, that's, so. that's uh, interesting. Interesting. So next track up, um, if you haven't, if you're listening to this show and you haven't heard this song before, I, it's I, I'd be pretty surprised. But here we go, Holy Diver. I forget it starts with the uh, sound effects. give you a little room to breathe after that blistering intro. Sounds the beginning of Butterfly Ball. (laughs) Right? Now think about if this were the opening track. I mean, this could have been an opening track too, but it would have made for a much different album. Yeah, and it sets a much different tone. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, like, uh, song order, I wouldn't change it. No, no. Because I've thought about it at times. Uh, this this could have been an opener, because like you said, it's, you know, how Butterfly Ball and some other albums started. You know, you have, like, a little keyboard swell. Yep. Of doom. You know, it's a almost six-minute song, but... You get a minute and change of that. Again, with that really trebly bass tone. Yeah, everything about this this album, I think the production is very, very high end, very trebly, but in a good way. Yeah, because it can be very easy to have it become muddy. Yeah, this is this is the definition of the opposite of muddy. And like you said before, very vivid imagery. A tiger, you can see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Yeah. No idea what that means, but it's very vivid. Yeah. There's so many great, <laughs> like little things like that in this song. Look out! Yeah. Look out! When we played with Dan, he would do that all the time. Yeah. Look, oh, look out! <laughs> More of a Beatles thing, but. This little section here is so good. Yeah. And it's weird because it's not really a bridge because they go right back to the verse instead oh, of into a, a solo. Well, it's a bridge in an odd place. 
Or maybe it's just a C-section. Who knows? What does what does what defines a bridge? Who knows? I don't know. I don't care. I, I love it. Jump, jump. Yeah, that's one of my favorite part. Like I do that to Jen all the time. She hates it. I'm like jump, jump. <laughs> <laughs> On the solo. Is there a radio edit of the song? Yeah. There must be, right? They cut out most of this. Yeah, unfortunately. Or actually, I think it was the um, it was in the video. Oh they yeah, maybe yeah. Like the first like ten seconds of the solo, and then cut to this part, which was like, what the hell? And they probably cut out the whole minute and change of the howling wind beforehand. Unless Ronnie's wandering around with that sword during that part, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie was awesome at a lot of things, but he was not a good actor. <laughs> Like, his videos, like, his acting was horrendous. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard not to laugh. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just a funny visual. I mean, he's just, he's, the fact that he's so serious about it makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's nothing funnier than somebody taking themselves seriously, and they're just, like, you're being a total goofball. <laughs> Yngwie. <laughs> yeah, right. This is classic Dio end of song ad libbing here. long fade there mm. no I did I did um, isolate the vocals on this and splice it up a long time ago when I did the um, I think it was when I made the um, jingle for flight of the rap bat blue light I uh, I spliced this all up because I got him saying light for the oh. from, from this that's where that comes from oh, um, okay I didn't know that so I, I just I just found that I have got a little folder here with all like little clips of his like isolated things like no no <laughs> and then of course jump jump <laughs> but there's there's so many there's so many good things like Look out. I gotta start <laughs> I gotta start working those into the show <laughs> yeah you do do you have any more um do I have any more Ronnie yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait. Great. Do I have any more? Let me think about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> but yeah, great fun. And there's probably like a bunch more I could have taken, but I just, yeah, it's. Uh, wow, that's that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great when there's a song like this that's so big that you can find really good ISO tracks for it. So. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. John, Holy Diver. How would you rank this one? Uh, I'll give Holy Diver 4.5. Okay. 
just a, a little short of five. I love the song, but coming off of um, Stand Up and Shout, it always, um, I don't want to say it paled in comparison, but it was like, um, it was it was just kind of like, oof, you know, you have to, you have to regroup. But even listening to it on its own, um, you know, I, I thought it was a, like always thought it was a great mid-tempo rocker. There are a lot of great parts in it that I love. Great singing, the guitar solo, um, that bridge or to not to bridge. Um, but there's just, there's something in there that just makes it a little, just a little off for me giving it like a, like a complete five, like stand up and shout. I would never skip mm-hmm. on like listening to it. This I might, maybe the length, maybe it's, you know, be the intro and everything. Maybe it's a little long, mm-hmm. but I mean, classic, classic Dio song, like nothing, nothing but love for this song. All right. Well, I'm giving it a five. I, if Hey-o. if anything, I would give the 4.5 to stand up and shout, which I was almost considering. But yeah, I mean, Holy Diver, I mean, come on. It's, it's one of the all-time classic. Like, if you had to rank all of the heavy metal songs ever, I mean, is there a chance this wouldn't be in the top ten? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just incredible. Um, just not even just for the, the merits of the song itself, but just for the influence and... Uh, that it's had and the, and the, the stature that it had on the, on the album that it has and who sang it and just everything. It's just, there's so much to, to say there, but a um, few things that they have on, um, on Holy Diver. He had a, he gave a few, well, more than a few interviews, but I have a couple of clips here. Um, this is the first one I have on him uh, talking about Holy Diver. Holy Diver, as we've talked about before, I wrote myself, uh, just felt that, uh, a song of that kind was needed to really be the basis of what this album was going to be. Uh, I felt it uh, a song a little bit more grandiose, much like uh, Stargazer that we had done before, of course, with Rainbow or um, Heaven and Hell with Sabbath or, or whatever the tracks may be. Those were always, they, they were and still are the, the kind of songs that I really like. And I think it represents certainly the kind of lyrics that I've always written a bit better. I think they fit a little bit better inside of that, that scope. Um, so I wrote the song because I thought it would, much like having Vinny with me, it gave me some security. I had a song already there that I knew was going to work. So, you know, that song again presented to the band and they just did, you know, such wonderful things with anything that I wrote. They, they just made them all come alive and that really was their job. And then I have one more where he talks about the meaning of the song and what it's actually about. So this is kind of an interesting uh, little take. And I've got a link to this one. I think it's from Banger TV. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a YouTube video of it. Um, it's more recent. I want to say it's probably like mid, mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. But here he is. Well, Holy Diver actually is a, it's a, it's a really kind of religious song. I mean, it's once again based from a religious attitude. I have a tendency to do that a lot too because I think that, um, especially the religion, the religion that I grew up with, Catholicism, uh, had has gotten itself so far behind the, the current uh, um, um, current method of of healing uh, because it's so steeped in the past that uh, I've always had to go with them for really teaching by fear more than teaching by love. Of course, they teach by love, too, but I was always afraid as a kid of the nuns, you know, the, the big penguins who were going to, like, smack you in the head with a ruler, which is what they always did anyway. Big penguins. <laughs> or, 
the fact that uh, you know if you do something wrong, you're going to go to hell and uh, you know and you're gonna suffer terribly. And I'm well, I mean, give me a break here. What's going on? Uh, here's your God. He's, he's the, that man nailed up on a cross there. You know, oh my God. Again, it was so much more by fear that I, I just really divorced myself from some most of those attitudes. Uh, so anyway, the song Holy Diver is really about a Christ figure who on another place, not Earth, uh, has done exactly the same as we've uh, apparently experienced, uh, or supposed to have experienced on Earth, dying for the sins of man so that man could start again and be cleansed and do it properly. So the same thing happened on this other far distant planet. And all the people on this planet are saying to him, you know, they're calling him the Holy Diver. Holy Diver because he's about to go to another place, to another planet, another world, to do what he did in the first on this place, save people from, uh, from, from their sins or absolve them from their sins by having himself killed. And the people are saying to him, don't go, no, no, there's, you know, you know, innuendos of tigers and stripes and you know, uh, uh, hearts and being eaten and you'll die. And it, it, it was meant to be, it was meant to show just how selfish humanity is that this one form of humanity on this one world said, no, 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 don't go down there and save anybody else. Stay here. We need you. You're ours. That, that's what that was about. So there you go. That's mm. him more after with the, with the benefit of thinking about it for 30 years or so, talking about what it's about. Um, it's, they could have called the song Alien Jesus, but they decided to go with Holy Diver. <laughs> uh. All right, so the next track up is, of course, this is a metal album uh, in the 80s, so they have to have, <laughs> I think they're, they're obligated to have a song called Gypsy. I don't think you can get away, uh, get away from it. Mm -hmm. So here we go, track three, Gypsy. That's like a, that's one of his like deeper screams too. He doesn't usually go yeah. quite that deep. Yeah, he really, really belted it out on that one. I mean, he's singing like up here the whole time. Yeah. Strong's, uh, it's been an hour since he locked her in the tower or whatever vibes on that first line. Hmm. But I mean, he's really like straining out those vocals. Like, this could not have been an easy song to sing. No. That little stop is like killer. Verses are very melodic too, like the um, the uh, the guitar. I love it when they 
they play the notes and let them ring out type of thing. Yeah. He just throws in Gypsy Queen at the end. What does riding on the gypsy mean? Who knows? That was Campbell pulling out all of his uh, guitar gymnastics on that solo. Yeah. I love what he does with his riffs where he like he, he uses these like long holding notes and then throws in the staccato so like the down you know like it's he's yeah. he, he's really precise with the rhythms but he's again, throwing I in like there. But again, I like how he, he lets the notes ring out toward the end of the verse. Like, it makes it more interesting than him just chugging along or yep. doing something that's, like, less interesting. Gypsy <laughs> Queen! <laughs> Riding on the gypsy. Maybe the gypsy is the name of a, of a locomotive. It's like a train or something. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, Vinny Apice, too. He does a lot of, like, staccato, like, with this drums. Yeah. You know, he does a lot of that, too. So I think that th- these guys all play really well together because they they throw in those those elements, but they, they don't always do them at the same time, either. Right, right. You know, and the way that it's produced, that's the thing that I like about this, too, is, is this is an album where if you... You know, you pick out one of the instruments or something catches your attention. It's not buried in the mix. You're just like, oh, that was a cool little bass run there. And then you start listening to the bass and then you hear Vinny throwing in some fills and you start listening to that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, fills and improvisational stuff. Yeah. You're not just uh, it, nothing's buried nope. in, in this music. You can enjoy all of it. So. Let's hear a quick word from uh, Dio before we get on to the rankings. Here's what he had to say about Gypsy. Uh, Gypsy, I just wanted to do something that was, you know, uh, just a little bit more feelful, perhaps. A little bit more Stones-ish, perhaps. A little bit, I think maybe that was my my thought, that it was more like a Stones kind of song to me. And I wanted to do something like that so that there would be this difference between the songs. After all, Holy Divers and all this big production and... uh, you know, Gypsy's a little bit more shouted and, again, more more feelful. feelful. So I wanted wanted that particular song to be on this album as well. Uh, I'm trying to think if anything weird happened during the making of, of that particular track, but no, nothing did. <laughs> I like that. Oh, yeah. Gypsy and brown sugar. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not getting that one at all. <laughs> I, there, there were some things Sounds where... Sounds like a Keith Richards riff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I do know, like, uh, when, when some people say um, uh, they do interviews like this and, and years later, they're oh, yeah, you know, we're trying to go for kind of a, a Stones thing or a Zeppelin type of thing. And you stop for a second and you yeah. think about it and you're like, oh, yeah, I can kind of hear that. And... I don't know, unless there's something that I'm missing. I, well, I may, maybe, Stones like, ish. if you try to imagine, like, if you could do an AI thing and have Mick Jagger singing this instead of it, Gypsy Queen! You know, just kind of like, <laughs> you, you know, you could almost kind of see it. <laughs> what was this? 
this? Mick Jagger dance. <laughs> He's a gypsy queen. All right. Um, anybody that's listening has to go on YouTube so they can see the the visual of this. Yeah. Just Nate with this who farted face on. <laughs> My, my world famous Mick Jagger. I've actually got a picture from. Uh, I've actually from our friend Scott's uh, from Scott's wedding of me. Do I was on the dance floor and I like took over and I did my Mick Jagger uh, dance. <laughs> yeah, me and uh, me and another friend of ours, also named Scott, were doing kind of dueling Mick Jagger impressions. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, they didn't uh, say, but I won. All right, uh, Gypsy, what would you give that one? Oh, let me see, Gypsy Quine. Um, I give Gypsy a four. All right. Um, yeah, I, I thought it's a. I think it's a good album track, a really yep. good album track. There's a lot of. Um, I mean, um, um, Ronnie uh, uh, just singing in that register. Sometimes you don't think about it, but when you do, you're just like, okay, he isn't like holy diver. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, or even stand up and shout. He's just like. He's like he's singing up here like mm. the whole time, you know. Yep. That's like that's pretty wild. That's pretty impressive. And even even his age at the time, yeah. Um, you know that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Even but, um, being considerably younger than we are now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, uh, he was he was good. He was good. Very like you know yeah. close to the end of his life. So I, I mean, I think maybe in the last ten years he may have struggled to. Try to pull this song off, but he was still, you know, he was still doing a pretty good job of his other stuff, you know. Yeah, but um, I mean, just a, you know, another another great song, another great uh, great album track, I think. Yeah, I'll I'll give this one a four as well. Just great energy. I'm like everything on this album just has such great energy. It's hard to really <clears throat> hard to really argue with most of it. So, um, and then we brings us actually. Do I have anything else about Gypsy? Let's see. Dio doesn't, but does Nate? <laughs> Does Nate, have, does Nate know something Ronnie doesn't? Um, nope, just that he described mm-hmm. it as a Rolling mm-hmm. Stones. He, and he used this, the, the made-up word feelful quite a few times. Um, mm. But so anyway. Ronnie can say what he wants. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He invented enough things. He can invent words, too. All right, next track. Uh, this will be the fourth track on the first side of the vinyl. And this one's called Caught in the Middle. Again, that yep. same same sort of structure to the riff. Now I'm convinced I need to go through all of these songs and get all of his little asides isolated. That little ooh he just threw in there would be great. <laughs> Yes. See, he makes you wait. He makes you wait for that chorus, baby. Yeah, nothing is. That's such a. I mean, you. it's a very well-worn territory, but it just. I. I always love it when they do that. 
because it's one of those things like if you've never heard the song before, you might not really pick up on it. But if you've been listening to the album a lot, it's like, oh, I just wanted it right there, but I didn't get it. Yeah. Ronnie UTs. Yeah, the song and this chorus feel almost uh, a little poppy. Yeah. Like, I think with a different production, it could have been a good pop song. Yeah. Those harmonized guitars, yeah. Like how he held back in this song, and it was a little more melodic than the kind of the really fast stuff that he was doing the first couple of songs. Yeah, yeah, it's just showing how you know, especially at his age, at what twenty, he's how intelligent a player he was. But it's funny because this is uh, we we've been talking a lot about how vivid and evocative his lyrics are, but this one is a little bit more generic on the generic side. He talks about like the rush of thunder and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's kind of. I don't know what the right word is, but. It's more abstract what he's talking about. He's not he's not talking about steel and tigers and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Nice little uh, slowed down drum fill there. Yeah, Vinny Apathy is the master of that. He's no slouch. That's for sure. All right. It's caught in the middle. Um, and hey, before we get to the rankings, let's hear what Ronnie has to say about Caught in the Middle. Uh, Caught in the Middle was a song that I wrote actually about Angelo. Angelo's life always seemed to be the engineer. that of, of one caught in the middle of some kind of turmoil. He would always make decisions that were wrong. <laughs> he would always come to me and go, Ron, what am I going to do? said, oh, what's happening, Angelo? Caught in the middle, are you? Yes. Wow, what a great title that is. I became caught in the middle, and the song was actually written about Angelo. <laughs> I like his, he always made decisions that were wrong. <laughs> Ron, what do I do? Ron, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do, Ron, father? Kiss the ring. Oh, boy. All right, caught in the middle. How would you uh, rank that one? Um, this one is, um, is good, but, um, I'll, I'll give it a 3.5. It, um, falls a little short of a four. Um, I think it's, um, it's, it's good. It's poppy in, in its, uh, in, in a way. Um, but, um, I've always thought of it as kind of a, uh, 
an album track, a deep cut, um, not as interesting as the others. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I think there's anything bad um, on this album, but um, ranks a little bit lower um, for my rating. All right. Um, I am going to give it a 3.5 as well. Um, again, good energy, great drum, drum fills, nice driving bass line. Um, but yeah, a little bit more approaching filler territory. I don't know that there's necessarily any filler on this album, but um, you know, hmm. more approaching that sort of territory. Um, so this song was, it shares a riff with a song from Vivian's previous band, Sweet Savage, called Straight Through the Heart, which is a title they would use on another song on this album. Um, so I do have the original here, the um, Straight Through the Heart song, if you want to give it a listen, and just kind of see where we can poke out uh, or um, uh, point out some of the similarities. So here it is, Straight Through the Heart. Sounds pretty similar so far. <laughs> That's the exact same thing. Yeah. Let's hear what they did with it once this stuff oh, comes hell in. Yeah. I think I kind of like this one a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of sounds like a young Vince Neil almost. Yeah. quietest guitar solo <clears throat> anyway that gives you a um, a little bit of an idea of what that um, track was like um, which is pretty See, similar no, <laughs> no, I, no, I gotta say like that riff being played like that it had more it had more bite to it that particular riff I, I think I like it better with that that guitar tone that production that fat bass in the background like mm-hmm. I, I I think that maybe if uh, the the Dio version was produced a little different. Maybe I would have liked it better. All right, folks. Um, I think we have a sweet savage fan on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, I'm not saying like I, I think that um, there there are certain things on on an album that that's basically it's the same riff. But I oh, think yeah. the way that it's the way that it's played, the way that it's produced, the the the, sound, the tone of the guitar, it all makes a difference. If if it were produced differently, or if they had, um, you know, just left it that way, I think I would have liked it better because I really I liked that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so uh, the final track on side one is a track called "Don't Talk to Strangers." Great advice, too. Don't talk to strangers. 
<laughs> that always makes me laugh. Classic. Gets right into it. Don't talk to strangers. That would be a good one to isolate. that weird noise it was like something doubling Ronnie's vocals it's a I did love how this this builds up to where the riff is coming this sounds very like Randy Rhodes era Ozzy that's like a classic metal riff yep Love these verses. Oh, Ronnie's the stranger. I know he just turned, he just flipped it around on you. Another cool section. Another really cool effect I like with the vocals trailing off and almost like morphing into the guitar is always a, or any other instrument is really cool. Yeah. There's just great building guitar solo here. Going down the halftime thing is pretty cool. It's funny, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of our friend Dan's playing in Vivian Campbell. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't think he was like the world's biggest Dio fan. Like, I mean, I remember him listening to them and liking them, but I don't remember him mentioning Vivian too often, but I hear a lot of the same, like, kind of. Could have just been the style of playing. Yeah, it could, it could have been. I love how well they just brought it right back down to this. Yeah. And it's kind of gradual. 
Ah, I love how they mix those demonic sounding vocals in the background. How Ronnie, they probably, he either sang really low or they slowed down his vocals in the background to make him sound like really demonic. Or they had like maybe like an, uh, an octaver that was low in the yeah. mix or something, yeah. Yeah, something like that, which it didn't sound like him singing or doubling his vocals. It sounded like a demon. Yeah. Harmonizing with him. Maybe it was Murray. Are you, are you ready, Murray? Yeah, let's do this. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, many more takes? I have to go off for a smoke break. <laughs> the more smoke breaks, the better, Murray. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Don't Talk to Strangers. Let's hear what our good friend, Mr. Ronnie James Zio, had to say about that one. Uh, Don't Talk to Strangers, again, that was the second song that I, I had written on my own before finding the band that we were going to use. Uh, wanted something, you know, up-tempo. Um, it, it just became, that song just became a product of my guitar playing. I mean, that's what it was, you know, not the world's greatest guitar player, but... Um, I think a lot of the things that I've written, um, riffs and songs that I've written on my own, have been more acceptable because I play like every man. I don't play like uh, Richie. I don't play like Tony. I don't play like Craig. I don't play like all these you know guitar players that know how to do it. So what I play, um, anybody can pick up and do. And that's always appealed to me I mean, because I think that's music is for the masses. I don't want to be Joe Satri. <laughs> <laughs> What the hell? It was an accident, but <laughs> all right. Well, you get the idea. I don't want to be Joe Satriani. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, that was one of those good accidents, I guess. All right, John, how would you rank? Don't talk to strangers. Oh shit, that was good. <laughs> Um, uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's fumbling with the spreadsheet. It's early for fumbling. <laughs> Don't talk to strangers. Five. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's that. This is like right up there with one of the best metal songs, in my opinion, um, that there ever was. All right. I mean, this this has everything. You have the you have that slow brooding intro that builds up. You have that classic guitar riff, which is like, I mean, anybody can, and it's true, anybody can play that. That's that, dun, 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 you know, it's based on that whole thing, um, but played faster. Mm -hmm. And um, just the, I mean, the, the verses, like the vocals, they just sound so uh, just demonic. And, um, and, and I mean, the way that when they, he builds up to the solo and he's just frantically soloing and then out of the solo, it just slows down and you don't even notice that mm -hmm. it gets the dynamics, just bring it back to the, to the, to the quiet part. And then boom, he hits you again before the song is over. And um, I just think that the doubling, like you said, whatever it was, whether Ronnie sang um, the backup and they slowed his voice down, or the, like you said, they used an octaver or whatever. It's just, it created this really demonic uh, sounding background vocal, which just fit the song. Don't talk to strangers. It's just a very kind of scary concept, but it's um, just classic classics. It's one of my one of my favorites. Um, I always look forward to this song. This is another no skip for me. Yeah, it's a mm -hmm. great 
closer for the side too. It's like this yeah. this epic song, but not really epic length. It's only four and a half minutes. Uh, but you yeah, can but see it, it a song feels, of the style being seven, eight minutes long. And it, but it feels epically like it would be an epic length, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel long, but you feel like oh, like you said, the song's only. No, I'm sorry, four minutes and 51 seconds. Almost five. So it wasn't like six, seven minutes, you know? Yeah, easy. Um, I'm going to give this one a four. I like it a lot. I think it's a really good side closer. Really good, uh, again, good energy, good arrangement. And as he said, um, he is not, uh, where is it? He's not uh, Joe Satriani. Uh, all right, next next side of the album. We got the track to open it straight through the heart. Another, if you're not picking up on Vivian Campbell's style yet, I mean, come on. He's got a, he seems to have a million riffs of this kind of, Creation. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget about uh, Jimmy Bain here, just yep. holding down the uh, holding down the beat, holding down the bass rather. He's just in the background, dong dong, just. Just chugging along, holding down that bottom end. Again, the song. <laughs> I like it when Vinny Apis is like. <laughs> He's doing a lot of great Tom fills. Yeah. But he's just playing on the ear. So Ronnie says that this Jimmy had this riff left over from his band Wild Horse. Hmm. But it sure seems Good like riff. it's been Campbellized. <laughs> yes. Does a little pinch harmonic. Yep. <laughs> Zoom cut out part of that on you. <laughs> I know. Oh, great bridge. Mm-hmm. Pre-chorus. It's a good, another good... Another good uh, visual, the co- hanging from the cobwebs of your mind. Hmm.
I like the solo. Kind of has like a heaven and hell type of thing with the bass line. Oh yeah. You know, it kind of has that feel that. Dun, 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 dun. Some more good harmonizing there. Yeah, fantastic. Nice. All right, let's hear what Ronnie has to say about Straight Through the Heart. Uh, so the next song on the album, uh, Straight Through the Heart, uh, there are some of these songs on this album that, that I think reflect my own trauma at the time as well. I mean, as a writer, I think you're always going to draw upon what's happened to you. I mean, I, either good or bad experiences, that's where it comes from. And during the making of this album, you know, I, I had some personal things that were going on that were that bothered me quite a bit. And I think a lot, some of the songs that are on this album, you know, reflect that, uh, one of them being Straight Through the Heart. Uh, and the song itself, you know, is, here it comes again, straight through the heart, you know, and there's no worse pain on the face of the planet when you're in love with someone or, or th that kind of a thing. So, I mean, I just use that as an example of, you know, something, you know, very hurtful. Uh, so, but I think, you know, again, they, re they reflect some of my feelings uh, at the time. There you go. He was going through a difficult breakup. I don't know. When did him and Wendy, like, I mean, I know if she was, like, involved in the management, but I don't know what the timeline is of when he. I'm not sure. When they got together romantically. But interestingly, when you go through the book, his autobiography, I was surprised that you don't get to Holy Diver until, I mean, you must be three quarters through the book. And it's like, wow, like he had done so much more after that. But um but anyway, um, that is Straight Through the Heart. John, what do you rank that one? Whoops. Fumbling still. Um, I give that a four. That's um, it's another great album track. Um, great riff. Um, great uh, dynamics through the, uh, through the song as well. There's a couple apart where it was the, the pre-chorus and then the solo where they, you know, it was kind of that, um, really that kind of like call back to heaven and hell feel where the, where the bass starts going, dun, 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 yep. dun, 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 which I really, I really love, but it was its own thing. It wasn't like ripped off or anything. Yeah. Well, he um, mentioned, he mentions the earlier on that it, I forgot who he says, but like the Holy Diver, the dun, 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 that was kind of like, Reminiscent of Eye of the Tiger and stuff like that. Like, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, as many times as I've heard both of those songs, and I never, until I read that, I didn't really think about it. I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess, but they're they're mm. so different, you know, that little chugging yeah. bass thing. But I mean, uh, just just another uh, 
just another great song. Great, like, uh, crazy drum fills in here is another one that you could just pick any song on the album. But this one I heard a lot of, like, um, a lot of cool drum fills from Vinny Apathy. So, um, all right. Well, that's straight through the heart. Did you read it? No, I did not. <laughs> Should I? I will. I'll give it a four. <laughs> all right, good. All right. <laughs> um, forgot about that part. I was too focused on the uh, on the the timing of this uh, of, of the recording. Okay. Uh, next up is on the second side of the album is the track "Invisible." Cool effect on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a fuzzy sort of chorusy sound. And he's got a little effect on his vocal, too. Yeah, it's the first time is other than reverb we're hearing anything really on his voice. It's like kind of the weird, kind of distant tinny sound. And like a very distant left channel mm. backing. Oh, now on the right as well. Three Ronnies. Baga baga baga. Yeah. It's a money lender, right? Bam bam. Baga baga baga. Okay. Kind of weird effect. Beep, 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 beep. A lot of space in some of these songs, too, which is cool. Yeah. That's such really cool. Frantic. Just like chromatically moving up like one half step at a time. 
which like shouldn't work, but somehow it still does. Like after that last verse with the squealing notes, <laughs> zoom cut that all. I didn't hear any of it. <laughs> I'll hear it. I'll hear it when I get your audio sent to me. But ah. zoom was like, ah, that must be background noise. There's no way a human made that noise. <laughs> oh well. Would you see me do this? I just heard you go. Yeah, yeah I, just, I saw your face. <laughs> I was like, ah, he's making uh, squealing guitar noises. <laughs> yes. I like that. Unseen. <laughs> that last set of lyrics is cracking me up for some reason. What? It just sounds like it was um, improvised. It's like, I like a photograph that's been torn in half. We're all 18 and we're in between. We need a helping hand to the Holy Land. It's like, it like doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it's like, it doesn't matter when you're Ronnie. It's just like, no, you sound like that. You sound like me doing it. It sounds foolish. All right. He just finishes wrapping up his vocals. They're just in the booth and like, the hell are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great, but I mean, Jesus. Well, makes like some sense, man. Helping hand, holy land. What's going on here? Um, all right. Here's Ronnie on Invisible. Invisible, I, I just love the idea of, 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 of what we were going to do to the song. Um, I, I thought it was a clever title. Uh, it was written about uh, three different people. Uh, a gay man. A gay young young man, um, uh, an abused girl, and me. Uh, there's a triumvirate for you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I, and I wanted to write these songs from the standpoint of the person of someone who had been injured more, you know, psych psychologically and trauma that way. Uh, and that happened in the case of the of the the young girl, uh, in the the gay boy. They were always being. Uh, put upon and kicked and shoved around for not being what people expect them to be. Um, and then included myself in the last part of it, only because, you know, I've spent all my life on a stage and a lot of trauma involved and a lot of that stuff too. I thought I deserved to be in that uh, because of what most musicians have had to go through in their lives. But the whole answer to it was, you know, you can just become invisible. You can escape those kind of things because you have a mind that'll let you do that. And I don't mean escape them forever, but you know, when people do that to you, why do you want to stand there and have the arrows and the stones being thrown at you? Hey, I'll just become invisible, you never see me. So I really, really liked what the attitude of the song was. Uh, again, played really well, just really, really well. Everything on this album was played so well by the by Jimmy and Viv and, uh, and uh, Vin. Any keyboard parts that were there, Jimmy and I did, and you know we were very simple players as well, and that's another reason why it worked. But that was invisible. So interesting. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it in that context, and you, there's three verses, 
One is like, you know, she had 13 years of teenage terrors. That's the, um, that's the, uh, you know, the, the, the girl. young girl. And then he says he was just 18 and in between, uh, his daddy's girl in a mama's world. So that's the, the young gay man. And then when I grew up and qu- up quick and felt the kick of life upon a stage, that's about him. So it's kind of interesting. Never put that together. Right, right. You'd, you'd think it would be just one continuous <clears throat> narrative, but he kind of breaks it up into these three little stories of, of, people that were, you know, that he's, like he said, not, not living up to what people hoped they would be. And, you know, at least at this time that this came out, so kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. Three, um, yeah, three different, uh, main characters kind of rolled into one, uh, song, uh, but all experiencing the same theme. Yeah. yeah so yeah, pretty kind neat. of interesting. All right. Invisible John. 4.5. Oh, Oh, nice. What happened to my, yeah. my my ranking spreadsheet? Just threw me back to the beginning here. All right, 4.5. All right. Yeah, 4.5. Um, <clears throat> I mean, aside from, uh, I mean, now that I, I, um, I mean, I appreciate it more lyrically because I think that's a really cool concept is having kind of like three protagonists in there. Um, but I, I think that the, the, music in the song was um or at least the the effects that they used at the beginning of the song the you know the 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 kind of ballady guitar this you know kind of swirly flangy uh type of thing and the effects on Ronnie's vocals and then you know I just love when he did that like um in um like in Sabbath and his solo career just that that kind of lulling you with that kind of ballady beginning and then boom right into the heavy stuff yeah yeah and um and it was just a really kind of like punchy um verse very catchy uh chorus um and uh you know really really good building uh guitar solo too and it, uh again just kind of a lot of dynamics throughout the whole song so uh this is one of the better album tracks in my opinion yeah um I'll give this one a four. I think it's really strong. I can almost imagine if they did a video of it, like them doing like acting out the three different parts and ending with Ronnie. If they had done it in 1983, mm. it would have been horrible. <laughs> but if they'd done it like a few years later when the video, like production qualities generally got yeah. better, it could have been pretty cool. Um, all right. Next song up again, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard this one. It, it is, of course, Rainbow in the Dark. another one I think which is more one of his more vivid lyrical songs mm-hmm been left on your own like a rainbow in the dark i don't quite mm-hmm. i guess a rainbow in the dark would be on their own i don't know 
I mean, this is a really good. I've always loved this song. Great song, great like great lyric riff throughout. Yep. Because this is one where the riff from the beginning, the main riff, is the riff in the verse, which I don't think they right. did. Too, yeah, they too do like a pre-chorus break from it, and then it goes back. Yeah, that's a good point. Now we go to the different part here. You have the fist pumping. Yep. Right into the solo. And I mean, awesome solo. Nice lot of open space here. Yeah. That's where, as a bass player, you can do one of my favorite things, which is muting the A, D, and G string and leaving the E string open and just pounding your bass with your fists. Boom! <laughs> Boom! It's so yeah. satisfying. Iconic synth parts in a rock song, like you put it up there with uh, the final countdown, jump. Which I mean, by his own admission, not very difficult right. keyboard parts on this album because he said who played him, either him or who? Him or Jimmy. Yeah. So I mean yeah. not that hard. Yeah. Pretty sure I could uh I could nail it. Given a few imagine, minutes. Imagine if you got John Lord in there. Hey, can you do this? He starts yeah, like, the organ back and starts rattling. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hang on. Rainbow in the dark. Wow, wow, wow. All right. We don't need any of that. <laughs> All, right, All right. Let's hear what Ronnie has to say about Rainbow in the Dark. Um, we have uh, Rainbow in the Dark. Uh, you know, it's a song that I really disliked. And when it was finished, I announced to everyone that I was going to take a razor blade and just cut the tape up. And so I went for the razor blade and I went, no, no, don't, don't, don't. I said, well, I don't like it. It's too poppy for me. <laughs> to me, for me, it was too poppy for this album. I didn't want to create a piece of pop because it came from a different space. It came from Black Sabbath already. You know, a band that allowed me to do anything that I wanted to, as dark as I wanted to do it. Uh, so I didn't want 
those people who had liked what I'd done in Black Sabbath to say, oh, here he goes, now he's changed, hasn't he? Now he's become a pop pop artist. I didn't want that to happen. And to me, because of, and, and only because the rest of the songs weren't quite as poppy as that. This one really stood out as being a, a, a pop kind of thing. And the riff was poppy and the, the little keyboardy thing was poppy. But at the end of the day, it worked. So they talked me out of it and I didn't do that. And I thank them over and over and over again for doing it, which doesn't mean that it's my favorite song still. I mean, I still will always have that feeling of that song, that it was too poppy for me. Luckily, the bands that have played that song now have all gotten the idea that it needs to be a lot heavier, so it is, so it works. But again, I'm very glad that they, they talked me out of that, but I, I disliked it so much that I really wanted to destroy the, the thing. Uh, and I believe in the beginning, that song, that was, uh, that was Viv's riff, and uh, that uh, it was originally called by Viv, I think it was called A Bottle of Wine, uh, well, at least we got a better title out of it than, than that. Uh, that was Rainbow in the Dark. Look out! Um, and um, I don't know what he's talking about with the bottle of wine, but um, what I read was that Sweet Savage had a song called Lady Marion and that Vivian wrote this riff when he was 16. So oh. I do have a... A recording of Lady Marion, which at the beginning does not sound much like this at all, but you can hear it when it kind of kicks in. So let's take a quick little listen to hear where this came from. Ray Holler, Haller, Holler on bass and vocals, Trev Fleming on guitars, Dave Bates on drums, and Vivian Campbell on guitar. This is from 1980. A lot of Egyptian imagery on this. I don't know if it, it looks like it's from a cassette tape or something. Yeah. No, maybe it's a CD folded in half. Lady Marion sounds like it would be like a Blackmore's Night song. Yeah, right. Wasn't it? Wasn't Lady Marion from like uh, Robin Hood? Was that her lady? That was Maid Marion. Maid Marion. My my mistake. I don't hear it. Yeah, it'll the song will change in a minute, in a second, and you'll hear it a little. Oh, bit I more. didn't know if it was buried in here. Somewhere. No, no, this is just like a weird intro. It's funny they didn't release an album this band until years and years later. They just had a few little. They had a few like singles and things, but so you can hear it kind of there. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean you have to you have to look for it. It's not something you'd uh So you get the idea. That's Lady yeah. Marion. Uh, you can kind of hear a l- the little bit of the beginnings of that riff coming into play. So yeah, so Sweet Savage started in 1979. They had uh, Vivian Campbell in the band till 83 when he left. Got a new guitar player. Didn't release an album until like 90, what, 95, 6, oh. 90, 1997. 
Jeez. they released their first album almost Ripes. 20 over 20 years oh i'm sorry almost 20 years later and uh do you know the guitar player they had two albums well three albums the first two albums you know who the guitar player in the band was no simon mcbride get out yeah so so simon mcbride played for them on their two of their three albums then they had kind of a, a long break after that until 2009, got back together and did one more album, it looks like, in 10, 2011. So. Wow. Yeah. So wow, another deep purple connection there. Yeah. The, the Irish boys uh, delivering on those uh, some of those albums. So kind of interesting stuff. So Rainbow in the Dark, John, how do you rank this one? I'm not ashamed to give it a five. Hey. I mean... You know, a very, yeah, it's it's very kind of rare for me. These songs that have what you would call the fatigue factor—they're mm-hmm. the 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 ones in the catalog that you're always you always hear uh, this crazy train, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Like ones like that, you, you just hear them over and over. Smoke on the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, out of all those kind of songs, this one still every time it comes on, I I just groove to it. It's so good. I mean. I disagree with Ronnie that it's like, I don't think that this is a pop song. I think it has commercial appeal. Mm -hmm. Like I can see why they made a video and why people like it. But I mean, I wouldn't really classify it as poppy. I would classify it as maybe more accessible. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it has a killer riff. His vocals sound great in it. The guitar solo is, is unbelievable. You have the, you have that, that eighties, like, yeah, you know, Dump. fist pumping moment, Dump. yeah, right. Which I mean, wasn't really a, as huge a thing until maybe a few years later in a lot of um, rock and metal songs. But um, yeah, this is still a, a fantastic track, and I, I love it. I love to hear him when he when he played it live. I love to hear him play it live, and it's just one of these songs that just I don't know it gets you going. You love to hear it, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm glad that Ronnie didn't cut it up with a razor <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that it's like oh i don't like the song so i'm gonna cut it up with a razor you could just not release it you know you could <laughs> you hated it that much you know, um, it's just like uh, gillen didn't like the cover to born again so let me just throw it out the window <laughs> at that point it was too late it had already been printed <laughs> but you know what i mean it's, it's yeah just leave it alone <laughs> Yeah, I also will give this one a five. I always really dug this one, too. Just the, the lyrics, the imagery, like we've talked about with his lyrics so often. And, um, yeah, like, listening to it, like, I kind of, in my mind, I think I think of it being a little poppier than it actually is. But when you listen to it, it doesn't sound at all out of place in the job. The only thing that makes it, quote, poppy is that little keyboard line that comes in a few times. There's a So it's like... Being that it's in the foreground like that, where 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 there isn't really any keyboards in the foreground in the rest of the album, yeah, it it it's a little different. But yeah, but everything else about this song sounds like every other song on this album. There's a definite cohesive feeling and sound to this album, and this one I don't think breaks from it other than that small keyboard part. Right, but it's yeah, it's, it's an I iconic mean. song, and it's like it's one of those things. It doesn't matter if I if I gave it a one. It's it's it it is it is what it is. It is a five, <laughs> whether yeah. you like it or not. It's it's one of the most. It's one of the more important metal and crossover metal songs of all time. Mm. Yeah, 
with another horrendous video. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what the video for there, this one is. It was like, I, I just remember that that uh, they, they were filming. Ronnie was standing like way up high, like on a hill or a building, and they were shooting him from like down below, like, uh, yep. It would zoom in on him sometimes, but I, I feel like he was on top of a building. But there was one part that I remember was he was in he it was just him in the video the whole time. They really didn't show any of the other guys, I think, until Vivian Campbell's solo. Yep. And then at one point, like, and I mean I'm I'm just going by memory, but I always thought it was hilarious. Toward the end of the solo. They cut to Jimmy Bain just kind of like stand, like just kind of like sauntering out, like you know, from a door or something like a side door, just like playing the bass, and that was it. He was in the video for like two seconds, <laughs> and it was walking, like walking out a door. Yeah, he just kind of like yeah, he just kind of like sauntered out of like a, a doorway, and he was like, dun, 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 dun. and then that was it. They probably played like three notes. They couldn't play like three or four notes, and then that was it. They didn't show him again, and it was like the dumbest video. Yeah, the early days of videos were just classic when they just hadn't yeah. quite figured out what a video is supposed to be yet. It's just like, it's, it's and I great. Mean, man, I mean, uh, I, I love Dio, but I hated his videos. <laughs> like, his videos were just so bad. Yeah, and the budgets were generally very low in those days. So, yeah, I mean, this was but, only, what, a year or two after MTV even came out. And, so. and that's the only thing you'll ever hear me say disparaging about Dio is, is he was just, his videos were not good and his <laughs> acting was not good. <laughs> well, that's, a, yeah, when you're... But yes. I mean, I guess you, when you're as awesome as Ronnie at everything, you got to be not good at something. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's nobody's paying him to act. But. <laughs> no. All right, folks. Well, that brings us to just one more song on the album, and that is, of course, the album closer, which is "Shame on the Night." Is that Coyote Ooh. on water? <laughs> Kind of a little sneaky, sleazy kind of riff to start it up. And the bass and the guitar doubling each other. Yeah. <laughs> the wolf. <laughs> that stock werewolf sound that you heard at like every TV show. Yeah, they got it from the uh, 101 sound effects record that they had in the studio. <laughs> This was another riff from Wild Horses. Wow. You stole in the day, snatched it away. And and I know Dio talks about how he suggested the wolf howl on the song. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. very <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> mm. I like how it's just the bass with some guitar effects in the background during the verse. Yep. It's kind of a ballsy move. Yeah. Shame on the sun. Changes it up to shame on the sun. But it's kind of building up because now he's just hitting that one chord and letting it ring out. Mm-hmm. 
And then I think he starts to play along with the riff toward the end of the song during the verses. Oregon has a very deep purple kind of yeah feel to it. It's a very dynamic song, great closer. It's very kind of like mysterious sounding. Yeah. Sneaky, sleazy, mysterious. So we've already gone through all the lyrics and he's kind of going through and repeating them now. Yeah, but now they changed up the music and the song is ramping up a little bit. Yeah, really nice build. I love that house. He does that like two note thing and then it fades. I just love this outro. It's heavy, heavy riff. Leaving himself open some for some pristine Ronnie ad libs. Oh yeah. When your back's to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And that was like, what, 10 years before this? And he was already showing signs of uh, putting in some brooding outro lyrics. (laughs) And I love that effect in the background. Sounds kind of like an ominous chorus, but... I I don't know if it is vocals or if it's some sort of synth. Either way, it has that chanting, that kind of chant effect to it. It's very cool. Which kind of gives it a really dark, that dark feel. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something Ozzy would do. Yeah. What does he say there? I have no idea. I've been wondering for years. It sounds like he almost says, like he says, holy diver. Holy diver. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, once the song actually, well, the fade out's still going, believe it or not. You probably can't hear anything on the audio feed. No. But I'm, I'm going to wind it back a little bit. Let's see if we can. Um... I can't make it out. Maybe it's maybe it was something backwards. Maybe. Let's listen. Hmm. Is anybody? If you know, if you're out there and listening and you know, let us know what you think that is. Or maybe I can re- maybe I can reverse it and put it at the end of the episode and we can see if we can figure out what that is. But before sure. we do that, I am going to play just a quick little clip 
of Ronnie on Shame on the Night. Um, and the, the last song, Shame on the Night, I think, again, is probably a reflection of how I felt at the time. Nighttime is the worst time on earth to, to have problems. Everything during the day seems like it, you know, life is going to be okay, but as soon as it gets dark and dreary and the oppression falls on your shoulders, you start thinking too much. There's not, not much you can do at 4 o'clock in the morning, but think. 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I can go out for a ride or take a walk or whatever, but 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't think most people should be out at that time. You usually get in trouble doing that. Uh, so, you know, I think I equated the night at that time with, you know, having bad dreams and bad things going on. Uh, and it was, again, I thought a clever title, uh, personalizing the night and saying shame on you. Um, and, you know, riff-wise, it worked as well. So, I mean, so much of this works. Uh, I mean, if I'm not giving enough credit to the other people in the band, you know, please forgive me because this was a total package that we put together. This was four of us and not Ronnie. Uh, whatever accolades I've gotten from it are probably because I've carried on with this band and because I have, have a long history of doing things. But they were so, they did such a great job, um, you know, I never want to diminish anything that uh, either Viv, Viv, Jimmy, or Vinny did on this. So uh, if I'm talking in terms of only myself, it's only because I'm, I'm the one who's talking, and I don't mean to. So, you know, kudos to them forever and ever. Uh, and that was, so that was the last track. All right. Nice. That is the last track. I am desperately searching to see if I can figure out what he was saying. I found some leads. But um, while I do that... Oh man, it's not, I'm not finding it right away. So maybe I'll have something by the time uh, the show goes live. But John, what do you think of Shame on the Night? Uh, strong ending. I'll give it a four. All right. Yeah. Um, great song for, I think I was saying a lot during the, during the song. Uh, just, uh, it, it really built up, even though I think you said at the end he repeated the lyrics. But one of the things that I liked was, is that, he did that, but the music ramped up because it was just the bass and some mm -hmm. kind of guitar harmonics and him holding notes. And then by the time you got, you know, past the solo, he was just chugging along doing the riff. So the song just had this slow build until you had that really ominous ending, which I think uh, that fade out was just a grit in that chant, whether it was him or whether it was keyboards or maybe a, a mix of both was just a really great way to end the album for sure. All right. I'm going to give it a 4.5. I really, really dug it. Loved it. Very ominous. Very scary. And I'm going to break with precedent and do something we've done very rarely on the show. I'm going to give the opener a 4.5. Ah, oh, you bastard. You know, I was just like, I was like, I don't know. I was caught up in it. But I'm looking at Holy Diver and Rainbow in the Dark. I just got to be fair and give it a 4.5. But, yeah, um, right. but anyway, that's, uh, I think that's it. And, uh, while John fumbles with the spreadsheets, I am going to thank our last uh, group of patrons. And of course, that is our foundation level patrons coming in at, uh, if I can find it here, where is it? I'm going to give uh, a shout out to our $3.50 Deep Purple New York tier, um, Lord Longford. At the three pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leask. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have the one, the only, Peter Gardot. Ian DeRosier.
Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Then we have... Ivan Fjeldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous Inadequacies. John Maselli. Oh, hey. They know you're lost. This way they won't think you couldn't get a date. <laughs> Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette. Coming in at the $1.71, I want my own tier tier. We have... At the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. And at the $1 made up name tier, we have the Lie Down and Spout, Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel... <laughs> Steve down Earth Kohler, Swapper the Electric Alchemist, and Anders Engstrom. Oh, sorry, Ashley, still I hear Burn Rose, ICDC, and Durple Purple. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. We would not and could not do this without you, and you know what that means. We've thanked our patrons. You know what time it is. All right. Where does that take us um, in mm, our rankings? That, mm, that takes us very close to the top, my friend, as I kind of yeah. thought it would. Yeah. Um, this is like, I believe, seventh down on our ratings. Um, 8.67, which is very near to the top here, which is uh, tied with another Dio, uh, Rainbow Rising. Oh, my goodness. Um, and our, our variance was uh, very slight. Um, I rated Ooh. this uh, higher than you because I think I gave a, a five or two that you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, um, yeah, I well well deserved here. We have uh, just going from the top here, we have the um, um, Diary of a Madman, Blizzard of Oz, White Snake, Rising, and Holy Diver. Mm-hmm. And so, California um, Jam in there too. Before we decided, right. well, I we, skipped California yeah. Jam as the because it was a live performance. I'm, I was just going by albums. Yep. Um, but just just looking at our top albums, really the only one that that kind of surprises me still to this day is White Snake, just because um, you know Coverdale's first solo album was not um, something that I had you know was really um, had or. Yeah. Um, um, that much or was um, um, totally into when I was younger because I could see the, um, I, we can obviously see the pattern here is, is that all of our favorite childhood albums are up toward the top. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, um, you, right below that, Jesus Christ, Jesus Superstar, Christ, Superstar Wizards Perfect Convention. Perfect Strangers yeah. actually still really um, surprises me a bit that it was up as high as it was. Not that I didn't like it, but that we, you know, that I liked it as much as I did, but um yeah, this one certainly. And all these, is yeah, not, all these albums are separated by point zero five or whatever. Yeah. They're very, very, very close together. Yes, certainly not a surprise. I, I, this is a, a killer album. One of my favorites. I, I, you know, I think it just it's because it stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, I still 
uh, loved listening to it to this day. Um, I just think that, you know, when, when, uh, when the, when the music is this good, um, and it speaks to you, um, it's just, it's, it's timeless. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I got a few other little kind of quotes and stuff about, or little things about the reception of the album. You know, it was recorded in a little over a month. It was uh, certified gold in the U.S. on September 12th, 1984, platinum on March 21st, 1989, and double platinum uh, just a couple years ago in 2022. Um uh, in 2017, it was ranked 16th on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time, which again is pretty. Uh, Rolling Stone doesn't often get it right, but to have that that close to the top is I would it's hard to disagree with. Um, I don't have a ton of stuff. I got uh, there was a cool thing that uh, the the one our wonderful late patron uh, Gerald Jerry Kelly sent us from Kerrang number 39. He sent me uh, this. A few years ago, uh, maybe three years ago, he, he would send me all these great scans as he was going through his Koran collection. And there was an issue that was that had like kind of a double feature. It was why I left Black Sabbath, an interview with Ronnie Dio, and then why I joined Black Sabbath, an interview with Ian Gillen. So it was kind of cool. So hmm. had kind of some stuff in there that's a little fresh in the moment. And it's interesting seeing an interview with Dio in 1984 or three about this album and one from him with in 2000 or whatever, where he softened a little with time or maybe gotten a little bit better at media training or whatever it is. So it's interesting kind of seeing the difference in what he says. But um, yeah, if you have a copy of that Kerrang, definitely check it out. Maybe I can put a, a link in the show notes, but really kind of cool stuff. And uh, man, yeah, we went pretty long tonight, but there's a lot to cover with this, uh, this great album. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Anything else before we break it up? I I think I said everything there is to say. Um, Nothing left to say about this album. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really, um, when we have albums that, um, that rank up this high, like ones that are, I mean, I guess you would say um, even ones like this could be like desert Island albums for us. I mean, I know that anything toward the top would be for me. Sure. Just makes me think of, um, you know, we have conversations sometimes with Rich and he he likes to pontificate over the fact of would these albums be as high uh, for us if we didn't have such a history with them. Yeah. Um, and seeing the them through that, <laughs> seeing them, seeing them through that lens. And um, but that's why I said that um, I just think that um, as objectively as I can, I think that the music. Uh, speaks for itself. Um, I mean, um, I, I was I was picking out just a lot of uh, just great things throughout the album. Um, that I, I mean, you know, I, we don't all have the same taste either. I mean, somebody else could walk in here and just be like, "All right, this is this is garbage. I don't like guitars. I don't care yeah. about the drum fills. Uh, this guy's voice sucks." <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> or it's just not for me. It's not my style. Sure, but. Um, you know, I, it makes me think too of like when I was uh, younger and my grandmother was just like, "Ah, you'll, you'll outgrow all this crap," and I was like, "Never!" And, and you were right. Proved her wrong. Screw you, Grandma. <laughs> proved her wrong. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance on her grave and tell her that she was wrong. Jesus. <laughs> I thought I took it too far with screw you, Grandma. That was a snap decision. I'm like, should I go there? And I'm like, I'm just going to go there. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, you went there. Yeah, she doesn't listen. Uh, how do you like that, Granny? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, but in all seriousness, yeah, yeah. it's just uh, like 30, 35, 40 years later or whatever, I'm still listening to all this shit. Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, but it's, it's, it's impossible it's, to be objective about stuff that you was formative to you in your you know in, in your youth like I mean you just can't like it's impossible to listen to it through the lens of what if you heard it for the first time now and the truth like I said the truth of it is you you could probably be like oh it's kind of cool yeah it's alright but you wouldn't have that same you wouldn't romanticize it the same way it's just impossible and Arthur Smith yeah. was saying the same thing in Discord the other day about you know trying you know I try to remind himself that about specific albums that are important to us and he's like for me, for him, it's down to earth. You know, that's his album. And for Scott Haskin, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. That's the album that was that the super formative. That was his whatever, Blizzard of Oz or Jesus Christ Superstar or um, whatever you want to call it. It's just hard to, to, to have anything be as important to you. And I see it now with my own kids and the things that they're, uh, movies they're watching, video games they're playing, music they're listening to, that they're going to just, that's going to be precious to them for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And in some cases... I don't get it at all. And in some cases, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Or in some cases, it's stuff that I grew up playing. You know, they, they're like playing Legend of Zelda the same way I did, even though it's a different Legend of Zelda nice. game, whatever, 40 years later, 35 Very years cool. later, whatever it is. Um, th- th- it's just as important to them as th- the original one was to me in the in the 80s. So it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, that's just, that's life. Um, and yeah. this album obviously was was big, and this kind of era was big for us. So there you go. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we'll be back at you next week on a, on a new platform we're trying to record. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And uh, it's going to be a little oh bit boy. of an experimental episode on every level. So hopefully oh it works. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I'm confident. It'll be good. All right. So um, why don't you uh, take us out, Ronnie? <laughs> oh, you shoot. You put me on the spot. Uh, yeah. Take, take us out, Ronnie. Hey Ronnie, there's there's a there's a puddle on the on the ground there. What how, what do I do about it? Jump, jump. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, Ronnie, should, Ronnie, this is kind of a long episode. Should we uh, should we keep recording? No, no. <laughs> All right, Ronnie. Will we be back next week with another great episode? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's gonna be our next. Our next episode is just gonna be doing that, asking Ronnie questions. The Ronnie, the Ronnie five. You thought the Ronnie hologram was good. This is the next level of Ronnie AI. You ask me questions, and I quickly find an answer. Uh, well, with that, we'll we'll see you all next week. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. I was a hero. <laughs> I mean, not enough of a hero to stop Thai monkey torture, but... 
<laughs> yeah, a real a real hero would have done something about the that monkey abuse. Mm. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. <laughs> 